Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, June the 5th, 2017, and this is episode 2017 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a great one for you today, but I kind of like to pause just for a second here at the beginning and point something out. We now have done as many podcasts as there have been years since the year zero. And we're taking a pause here as well with the history segment. I believe South Bob Ben is going to go back and start actually at like the year zero and come up forward. That's his plan anyway. We'll see if he does it or not. Um, But um, I have not heard from him for this week. So we're taking a pause in that history segment, at least. And we may replace it with something if, if Ben decides he doesn't want to do it, like a quote of the day segment or something. I'm not really sure. But it is kind of, well, it's kind of humbling in a way to think that I've been able to stick with this so long that we've done over 2,000 episodes and we've actually caught up to this year. And I have to take this moment and say thank you to all of you who share the show, who listen to the show, and and a huge thank you to those of you that support the show financially, either by how you make your decisions about how to shop online or also those of you that support me through the MSB, etc. Because without you, there's no way I could have stuck to this this long. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, I've been pretty open about my business career and the 20 years leading up to starting the Survival Podcast almost nine years ago. Almost nine years ago. We are ooh, 15 days away from our ninth anniversary of the show. But if you've, if you've paid attention to it or if you've researched my background, you'll realize that, I mean, other than being a father and a husband, right, There is nothing I've done as long as this. Everything that I went into, everything that I did, I did for a couple of years. I built it up and I moved on. Or I built it up to where I extracted all the knowledge I could get from it and I went and did something else. When I found this show, I found what I believe truly is my life's work and something that can evolve with me so that I never outgrow it. And, and I hope that I keep doing this show in a way that you, the audience, don't outgrow it. And I guess if I do that, I'm actually successful. As people outgrow the show, I guess that means it's given them so much that they can go on and do something you know, else and, uh, and move on from there. Um, but thank you. Thank you to all of you. Now, today's show, of course, is about you because this is a listener feedback show. i got a long lineup today. I've got a lot of different stuff to talk about, lots on cryptocurrency, lots of some other stuff. Here's what I've got today. I, I want to do a quick shout-out to my buddy Vin Armani and the concept of the Crypto Savage. Because um, I, I saw today an article on Facebook. I didn't mark it or nothing, so I'll have to find it and, and follow up with it. But it was like the, the, the crypto anarchists are taking over. And I'm like, man, they already lifted my buddy's saying, right? Because Vin, several weeks ago, came up with this concept of Crypto Savage. Anarchist does not need to be in there. Even though Vin describes himself as an anarchist, the crypto savage is something that's so much bigger than anarchy or voluntarism or politicism or whatever. And I want to tell you a little bit about that today and why I really think Vin's nailed something when he said this. I want to talk to you about the Bank of Russia planning to develop its own cryptocurrency and what that means and how it could be a backdoor to trouble long term and how governments might actually come out and try to to take over the world of cryptocurrency, but why I think they will fail with it. But it doesn't mean that some people might not get snared in this little 
new world that they'll, the, the governments are going to come up with. And I want you to be aware of that so you're thinking about it going forward and making smart decisions as these national cryptocurrencies come to prominence. Um, I'm also going to talk about how that interplays with the concept of virtual nations. All right. Uh, I have a Tim Ferriss podcast on cryptocurrency I want to say a little bit about, but I'm just going to recommend that you listen to it. Uh, I'm going to talk about another brand new gizmo lightsaber thing on Kickstarter. It's actually Indiegogo. I need to edit that right now on Indiegogo that you should uh, avoid and, and how I sent it to uh, Stephen Harris just to, uh, to make his head explode. And his first response was, boom, there goes my head. Uh, but uh, I, I just want to kind of remind you guys of why you should be immediately skeptical of anything in this world of backup power that makes any kind of amazing claims. Because, well, there's no super secret new technology. The stuff that's available, we know what it is, and we can measure things like amp hours, and we know how much capacity a battery has. And I want to talk about why that's important and how it relates to other things like the mainstream media, etc. Okay? I have a listener that almost got burned by no spare tire in a new car, but avoided it. Just a quick little follow-up with that. Uh, Trump pulls out of the Paris Accord. People want to know what I think. My response is, so what? And I'll give you the simple truth about this. Uh, next up, sealing a pond with kitty litter. When you, what you need to know uh, before trying it. And, you know, who's going to help us with that? Erica Strauss. Even though she doesn't know she's going to help us with it, because she already did it several years ago. Uh, yeah, we're going to pull on the past to learn in the future. A bit more on cognitive dissonance. I have a listener experiencing that. That I it just, He just sent me an aside email. It wasn't really for the show, but I think it helps make a really good point about what's going on in the world today, and it'll anchor back to the crypto-savage thing. Um, why I refuse to be shamed into not using words like retarded. Yes, every time I, have, I let that word come out on the air, and I don't even let it come out. Like There's an appropriate situation to use the word, and then I hear from people saying, you shouldn't say that, it's offensive. I'm going to tell you why it's not offensive, and why we need to stop this shit, and how it actually, things like that that seemed reasonable were the genesis that's led to all of the absolute crazy bullshit political correctness of today. Okay? Uh, next, um, more on the failing school system, and something I just heard of today called the Iron Law of Institutions. Now, when I first heard this, I thought it was just a ripoff of Pornell's Iron Law of Bureaucracy, It's not. It's an evolution thereof, and it's something very important to understand. And again, it will anchor back to the crypto savages. And then, soon you will not have to buy a car. You won't even have to lease a car. You'll be able to subscribe to a car. What the hell does that mean? That means you'll have an app on your phone and say, I want to use a Chevy Malibu for the next three weeks, and you can go pick it up and drive it with no insurance, no nothing. You just show up. Your account already is paid for it. And at the end of that three weeks, you just take it back. And you say, now I need a pickup truck for a week. And you, you rent a pickup truck. You, you, you subscribe to a pickup truck for a week. And then you take it back. And then you just, I don't need another car for a while, so you just don't have one. And I'm not talking about the automation thing where the car drives and picks you up and takes you like an automated Uber or Lyft. I'm talking about you subscribe to a car. It's called FlexDrive. And it's it's part of an emerging trend that I want you to be aware of. So I'm telling you, I have a freaking monster show for you guys today. And I want you to uh, to be really excited about it because it is going to open your eyes, I think, to where the world is headed. Like, like nothing we've done in a long time. I wouldn't say like nothing we've ever done before. But uh, hold on to your seat for just a minute because we're going to go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Guys, right now, do you know I have personally about 100 trees, vines, and bushes from Bob Wells Nursery on my property? 
Over time, they will produce season after season of edible products. They look great, too. Bob Wells is always my first choice when buying new trees, vines, and shrubs for my permaculture work. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. Hey, folks. When I started TSP over eight years ago now, the first company to ever offer to sponsor the show was Safecastle. And they've remained a loyal sponsor ever since February of 2009. And did you know they give away a lifetime discount membership to all MSB members? They do. And that can save you big money on everything you can imagine for your prepping needs. And with Safecastle, I do mean everything. Check out safecastle.com today to learn more. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you enjoy this show and you want to support us and make sure that we're able to continue to always bring the show to you uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and cover these great topics, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. To do that, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. You'll get discounts to a lot of really great companies. You'll be helping to support our show with a product that will pay for itself. Many of our members tell us that their membership pays for itself three or four times over every year. And if you're a military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, you do qualify for a discount. Just email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get back to you with a discount code. Everybody else, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more and sign up. All right, with that knocked out, let's get right into it, except I do want to throw a little shout-out to somebody, uh, Hank from Hank Holster, Hank's Holster Reviews. Uh, he has a pretty cool site. He does a bunch of reviews of, of, of holsters, and uh, you can go over there and check it out. He's reviewed just tons of holsters, and he sent me an email and uh, asked if I would link to his site because he linked to my site on bullhead fishing. So, see, here's how this works. Hank linked to my site with bullhead, uh, bullhead Fishing in the anchor text, and he wanted a link back that says holster discount codes. Um, so he gets a link, and he gets a show mention. Uh, so you can check it out. You go into today's resources uh, for today's show in the show notes. You'll see the link. You can go over and check out Hank's discount uh, holsters uh, because they're uh, discount holster codes. So, again, you look at the different reviews, and some of the reviews will give you a discount code if you want to buy that holster. So, cool way that he's monetizing his site, I guess, some way that he's got a deal going with these uh, manufacturers. But if you would like a quick little mention like this and a link from TSP, which has a lot of Google juice, you know, just send me an email and tell me where you linked over to bullheadfishing.com with the, with the words bullheadfishing in the anchor text. All right, so let's get on into it. So, what the hell is a crypto savage, right? And if you go check out some of Vin Armani's recent shows, he's talked about this a lot. I just wanted to give him a shout-out, specifically since... I, I saw today again, it was on The Guardian, I think, somebody basically lifting his term and changing into crypto anarchist. And this happens a lot in this space of alternative media, podcasting, etc. You start putting something out there that's never really been said or looked at before, and somebody either takes it and runs with it or takes it and twists it to their own end, but you know that's where they got it from. Do I know that's what happened here? No, but I, I think it's possible. And I think what's actually more important is that, see, Why did Vin come up with the term crypto savage? He came up with it for the same reason that I came up with the term modern survivalism almost nine years ago. Because if you don't define a space, then the outsiders from that space define it for you. And survivalism and prepping, you know what happened over the years that I did this show. It went from being a niche topic to this big, huge thing on TV with doomsday preppers, and we were all crazy and blah, 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 and we were hiding from 2012, which none of us were because we were not that stupid. Um, but we 
put down an anchor point here with modern survivalism. And modern survivalism is about liberty and self-sufficiency and independence and self-reliance. But it's also about things like lifestyle design. It's not throwing away technology. We anchored that. And while other people use the term today, anybody familiar with TSP knows that that's where that, this is where that term came from. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. I'm not saying it was never used in the English language before, modern survivalism. But when I started this show in 2008, I wanted an anchor term that nobody was using. So I went on Google, and I put in the following. Quote, modern space survival, end quote. Search, zero results. Quote, and if you do quotes around a phrase, you get an exact match. You only get results when there's an exact match. Quote, modern survivalism, end quote. Nothing came up. Quote, modern survivalist, end quote. Nothing came up. And I said, okay, that's my term. That's my term. That's what I'm going to run with because if I put that term out first, I get to define it. Just like Paul Wheaton with his Wolfati, right? He gets to define what, what a Wolfati as far as an underground house is. Okay? Because he, defi he put that out there first, so he gets to define it. That's how I feel what happened with Vin with Crypto Savage. So what is Vin calling a Crypto Savage? You might think it's all these hackers that are putting together the code that are making these cryptocurrencies and things like that. And see, I think that's, I didn't read the article today to be fair from The Guardian, so I don't know, but I think that's where they're headed with it. But no, what, what Vin actually means by Crypto Savage is all of us that get where the world's going and are already on board with that while everybody else is sitting around still trying to figure something out. He, he likened it to the barbarians, right? So when the barbarians were you know, not quite at the gates, but on their way into the empire and taking everything over and sacking everything, the people inside the, the empire still thought, well, it's okay, they'll never come here. And they couldn't understand what was going on. And the word barbarian, we think of as like some kind of big evil thing. I think it was actually something in their language, and it was a word that they couldn't say right, and it ended up coming out barbarian, and then it got, they got defined that way. What, what the crypto savage is, is the person that says, oh, I get, I get this. And, and right now is putting up multi-tenant housing in a new way, and doing it where you know, young tech-savvy people are paying you a dash. That, that'd be one example. It, it's people that get where we're headed with, with applications like Swarm City, which will make Uber irrelevant, the disruptor of the disruptors. Now, will Swarm City achieve that? I don't know. But somebody like that will. Or do they have the team to get it done? They have the best chance of it right now. But do you think if that fails, that somebody else is going to just go, well, they tried that, that doesn't work. See, the crypto savage is the person that doesn't say that'll never work or that can't be done. The Crypto Savage says, we're doing this. And if I'm not doing this piece, I know someone's going to do this piece. I'm going to start designing my life based on this. The Crypto Savage is the real alternative media. Not the sites with 400 advertisements of half-naked chicks on them that are all clickbait, that are labeled alt-right or crazy left or whatever. No, no, no. Not that. The real alternative media. The real people. Like me, like Vin, like hundreds, thousands of the rest of us who have said, we are literally going to pick apart what they're telling us and determine the truths for ourselves, and we're going to set a course based on truth rather than the marketing that's being placed on us. You, my friend, 
Now, I'm not saying all 150,000 of you, but there's a good chance if you're in this audience, especially if you've been here for a while, and what I say makes sense to you, you, sir, you, ma'am, are a crypto savage. You are a crypto savage. We've taken savage to be a bad word. What, what, what Vin means by crypto savage, when he came with that term, crypto means hidden or unseen, right? Mystical, un, un, misunderstood, coded. And savage is our true nature, what we really are. Savage is a word that's been maligned. That's why we'll talk about retarded today. In other words, it's been maligned because of the way that some people might have used it abusively. It doesn't destroy the meaning of the word. Like survivalist. They've, they've, they've tried to ruin that word, but I refuse to let go of it. Why? It's a perfectly good word. Survival means to continue to exist, and, and the suffix ist means someone who specializes in something. Right? So if you're an economist, you specialize in economic knowledge. So if you're survivalist, you specialize in continuing to exist. It's a perfectly good word. There's no reason to radicalize that word. And what, what Vin means by crypto savage is everything you need to understand about where our world is going is in plain sight right now. You can see it. It is not hidden. Yet the majority of people can't see it because even though it's there, it's coded. It's encrypted. They can't make heads or tails of it. And the reason they can't make heads or tails of it, you're going to see a theme in today's show. Cognitive dissonance. It's not encrypted the way that when you buy Dash or Bitcoin or Ethereum, there's a, a, an encryption on it. So there's two keys to it. One is the, you know, where it came from, where it got to, but the other one is what controls it, what lets it go. What's that, what's that private key that you have that lets you decide to keep it, to send it, to sell it, to shift it into another currency? That's true encryption. Okay. What's going on in the world today, where the world is headed, The future of the next 20, 30, 40 years. The complete dissolution of the public education system as we know it. Also known as government schools. It's the writings on the wall. The death of the shopping mall. The writings on the wall. Automated vehicles. Loss of jobs. Incredible opportunity. The writing is on the wall. The majority of people in mainstream media being put out of a job. The writing's on the wall. But it's encrypted to them. They can't see it and they can't understand it because, one, they believe in the false religion of the state to the extreme. Those of you that are minarchists, those of you consider moderate, you know, conservatives, moderate liberals that are in this audience, don't be offended by that, okay? Because you're probably, you're probably closer to where I am than you even think you are, but you're not where they are. Most people have grabbed onto a belief system and they cling to it like a life preserver. The problem with life preservers is all they do is keep you afloat. But if the current's going the wrong way and you just cling to a life preserver, especially when you're only 15 feet from shore, and all you got to do is start swimming, and maybe that 15 feet is hard to swim, but you can do it, but you cling to that life preserver while the tide's going out, what happens? That's why we, the crypto savages are the ones that are going to take things forward. We're going to be the ones that adapt to this new world. And when you marry crypto-savagery 
with modern survivalism, then you really got something because shit's going to go wrong along the way. We're going to make mis mistakes along the way. We're going to fall down along the way. We're going to get hurt along the way. But by being open to the new world and prepared for failure, we're going to succeed in numbers that far and away out, you know, far outweigh those who are not prepared for this from either side. The people in the world that are, yes, they're preppers, but, but they're, they're, they're turning a blind eye to the future. They're only going, that, that preparedness will only do so much for them. And those that are embracing the future, But don't understand that just because you know it's coming and you're going to do the best you can with it doesn't mean anything, you know, nothing can go wrong. They're not going to do as well with it. The people that marry these philosophies, we're going to people, the people that really take this thing forward. From the old, old guys, you know, like me, to the young kids coming up right now that are going to be coding the next generation of technologies. We're going to be the ones. The rise of the crypto savage. Kudos to, uh, to Vin for coming up with that term. Next, I want to talk to you about, like, how, how do we know this stuff is happening? Well, we know it when the things that I've been saying and the things that others in this space have been saying for years and years and years um, begin to happen. So one of the things that I said, and, like, Ecuador fooled around with it, and I guess I, get, I didn't get, I got it right, but I got it wrong. Because it was a couple years ago. I said, by the end of this year, there will be a nation announcing and developing a cryptocurrency. And Ecuador announced it, but I don't think they actually did it. And, and it may just be that they didn't feel that it was worth doing for them. I don't know. Maybe they're developing it and they've been quiet about it. I don't know. But a much larger, more influential global power has come out today. And they have said... It's time to develop a national cryptocurrency. Let me read this to you. This is off Coindesk. Russia's, yeah, Russia, Russia's central bank believes the time is right to develop and launch its own digital currency, one of its senior officials said today. Olga, Olga Sko, I'm going to call her Sko, so I don't ruin her back in the last name, Sko, Skorob, because there's more letters to it, so I'm going to call her Ora Sko, Skorob. Orosko Robe, deputy chief of the Bank of Russia, was speaking during an appearance at the St. Petersburg International Forum. According to the state-owned news service TASS, Skorob touched on two key topics, its work with digital currencies as well as the kinds of partners the Bank of Russia wants to work with on blockchain initiatives. What was said? During the event, Skorob issued comments about the Bank of Russia's work with digital currencies. It's an application the bank has been publicly exploring since June 2016 at the earliest. At the time, the central bank's fintech head, Vadim Kalushov, said the matter is being studied. But Skorob comments are perhaps more aggressive, most aggressive to date from an institution. Quote, regulators of all countries agree. Listen to that. He's not speaking just for Russia now. Regulators of all countries agree that it's time to develop national cryptocurrencies. This is the future. Every country will decide on a specific time frame. After our pilot projects, we will understand what system we could use, in our case, for a national currency. Skorob was quoted as saying, I try to say it there, I'm just no better. Among those Bank of Russia, among the bank, among those the Bank of Russia wants to work with members of the European Union. Russia wants to cozy up to the EU. Quote, we want to jointly test blockchain for cooperating with EU countries on the projects we're going to start this year, she said. 
Skorov notably remarked per the publication's report that blockchain adoption would be widely used over the next decade. Specifically, she offered a 7- to 10-year timeline during which during which firms in Russia's finance space, which have been testing applications for much of the past year, would move to integrate the tech more closely. I think it will take us seven to ten years, not only the financial sector, but other sectors as well, to launch the production of this technology for serious projects, said Skorov, according to TASS. Why it matters. The comments shine a light on how the Bank of Russia is examining the question of digital currencies. It's an area of study being explored by a large range of central banks, including those from China, Singapore, and the UK, among others. Scorb's comments also come as the Bank of Russia develops new regulations for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The Russian central bank is reportedly planning to regulate Bitcoin as a kind of digital good. Hmm, a kind of digital good. In other words, what, they're doing the same thing the United States is doing. There's like it's it's a commodity. It's not a currency. It's not money. See, because the thing about money is, if you just change forms of money, you know, unless you're doing straight up forex trading, there's no profit or loss. You just, you know, if you go to Canada and buy Canadian dollars with U.S. dollars, there's no there's no taxable transaction. It's just a currency conversion. And the minute they recognize Bitcoin is a currency. It becomes subject to that. That you can start changing money back and forth, back and forth. And as long as you don't sell it, okay, you got the difference? As long as you don't sell it, you're not creating a tax consequence. That's that's one of the things they're really that's why they, they won't identify it. Here's a couple things I want to say about this. First of all, seven to ten years. Do you know where the crypto savages will be in seven to ten years? I don't, but I know that we'll be further along than we are now. They're, they plan on entering in seven to ten years. We, we already have technologies like Dash that make completely anonymous transactions possible for anybody using the currency. Already. Already. <laughs> There's, they're, they're developing applications now that allow people to find each other and do business each, with each other. There's already an application called Open Bazaar that's open source software that basically took over where Silk Road left off. You actually install the program on your computer. You run the program on your computer. There is no website. It's open source network software. So when two parties make an agreement to do something, if the state deems it to be illegal, they have to go after the individual parties. There's no third party like Silk Road to shut down. You think they could make that better? You think they could make that where there's an, an inherent trust system that's very difficult to game? That the higher and higher levels of trust you obtain, the more and more you are able to do transactions. So that if some narc comes into it, it's very difficult to work. Like think about the way like drug narcs work right now, right? The drug narc, like the federal agent that's a drug narc, he doesn't like. You know, just dress up like a street junkie and go out and buy some dope from someone and then bust them. Like, police departments run things like that from time to time. I'm going to give you a, a funny story right now, though, for, uh, for just some humor for starting off your week. So I was watching cops one time. This was freaking hysterical. I mean, this was absolutely hysterical. They get this guy and they dress him up so he kind of looks like a kind of a, you know, borderline being on the cover of GQ, crack dealer looking dude. And he's out on the street, and he's dealing his crack, and he, he like people are coming in just buying it from him, and he's taking their money, 
They're getting their crack, and as soon as they get their crack and start walking away or driving away, the, cop, the other cops move in and bust them and bust them and bust them. They end up busting like 18 people, right? 18 people go down. And like the word gets out, like, hey, man, you know, this dude is an arc. So they decide it's time to take these 18 people to jail. Well, instead of rolling them off one at a time, they had like a warehouse somewhere. They were handcuffing them and setting them in there and saying, you're just going to wait here until we take you all at once. So they bring a paddy wagon in, right, like a bus, the police bus, right? So it's, it comes rolling in to take everybody to jail, all 18 people to jail. They got everybody in a line handcuffed. They're, they're putting them on the bus. Now the other cops have come out. The, the fake drug dealer's standing there. There's a dude standing next to him with, like, his gun and his badge on a belt, and he's wearing one of those black shirts that say police on the front and the back. So, you know, like in a raid, you don't get shot or whatever, so everybody knows who you are. And the guy walks up to the fake crack dealer that hadn't got the word yet. Now, keep in mind, right next to him is 18 people handcuffed getting onto the police bus. He's standing right next to the guy that has the police shirt, the gun, and the badge on his belt. And he says, hey, man, you got crack. And the fake drug dealer looks at an other police officer, okay? And, and like, puts his hands, like, like kind of the what? You know, like, you know, shrug your shoulders, like, what do I do? And the other cop, like, does his hands, like, go ahead. Like, you're going. So he's like, yeah. That's a, so he sells him some crack. And the cop, like, taps him on the shoulder, points at his shirt, and the guy looks kind of confused. He, sh he shows him the, the line of, like, do you see the line of people getting, because you're going there. And the other cop comes up, handcuffs him, puts him in jail. Now, while I don't think we should be putting people in jail for buying crack, I really don't, that was freaking funny. Okay, because like if you get busted like that, whatever, you know, you're going to get busted sooner or later. I just thought it was a side. But my point is, like, that's what like local PD does. Narcs, like federal agents, they don't do that. They get in and they work their way up in an organization trying to find that kingpin, that supply guy, whatever. Sometimes I believe actually to take over, but we'll leave that conspiracy for another day. But you get what I'm saying. They have to earn trust. Now, doing that in a human environment is, is a lot more doable than doing it in an automated environment. And that's what I see coming, because here's what I see coming from the states, like Russia, the United States, UK. They want to make their own cryptocurrencies, because what that will do, if they build blockchain technologies, and then you use U.S. dollars in the new U.S. coin to buy Bitcoin, they have a handshake And it could make it much easier for them to ferret out where, now once this U.S. coin's been exchanged for a Bitcoin, where did it go and where did it go next and where did it go next? Kind of like following that public blockchain all the way through. Now, this is a, this is a good reason to look at currencies like Dash. They're like, there it went! And it's like broken up into a thousand pieces and multiplexed through the other side. But just be aware of that. Like, as these governmental agencies come out with cryptocurrencies, and then, you know, do nations cooperate? If Russia comes out with Ruscoin, and you go buy a shitload of Ruscoin, um, do they tell the United States? Or do they not give a shit? Especially when it goes out like Forex, and it goes out into a common exchange, where you can just log into something like Bittrex and convert Dash into Ruscoin. And even if they, if Russia did tell the United States, How would they know? There's this anonymous account using this currency that they can't trace to buy a currency they can trace and convert it into another currency they can't. It's like they're trying to catch up, but again, because of crypto savagery, they don't even know what they're doing. 
But the people, what they're, they're not even looking to, to, to do this to people that are already on board with this. They know everybody's going to jump in the pool and they want to get there preemptively so that when everybody jumps in the pool, they're the option. And this, this takes a whole new level of currency warfare between, you talk about currency manipulation. I mean, if you can make your cryptocurrency more valuable than the United States' cryptocurrency, then people start bailing out of the crypto dollar and going to the crypto ruple or the crypto yen or the crypto franc. The franc, it's gone. It's a euro. Is it? Is it? What about all these nations that are having buyer's remorse about the European Union? What if they just say, you know, we're not leaving the euro. We're bringing back the mark or the lira or the drachma, or the franc. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this is an out for all these countries as well. The turmoil this is going to create is going to be enormous. And once a major player goes, everybody has to. Because imagine that Russia beats... This is like a new space race. Russia beats the U.S. to the first ever major national-backed cryptocurrency. How many U.S. dollars run into that currency? Just on speculation alone. And if the speculation drives the price up, especially if it's cheap, it's cheap going in the door. What happens to the first nation that says, screw it, we're going to embrace deflation. And we're going to build our whole economy around deflation. Man i got to move on, but I hope you guys get how monumental this one is. If you're still struggling, though, with like getting your head around cryptocurrency, I would really like to recommend that you listen to a recent episode of Tim Ferriss' podcast. The title of it is The Quiet Master of Cryptocurrency. I have a link in today's show notes. You can get over it. It's about two hours long. It goes deep into all these things, very much in layman's terms. It's actually the type of show... I've really tried to do, and I don't think I've 100% executed it to the level that it was done here. Like, the guest is phenomenal for this. So check it out. Again, it's called The Quiet Master of Cryptocurrency. It's on Tim Ferriss' podcast. I love Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, I think, is also a crypto savage that didn't even know he was a crypto savage. I don't think any of us knew. But I think that's a perfect example of someone that's decided, I'm going to change the rules of my personal economy regardless of the rules of everybody else's economy. And by understanding everybody else's rules, I can alter my rules to my advantage. I can earn dollars but pay my bills in rupees. That's that, that that's the fairest formula, in at least one methodology anyway. So, I mean, really check that out. And again, I mean, if I kind of told you like the, the two people that I've been the most inspired by what they've done online, even though I really haven't paid a huge amount of attention to either one of them recently for, I'd say, five years, too busy doing my own thing, but it would be Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk. And I really don't know where either of them are at exactly in their walks today, but they were both big inspirations for me. I just want to throw out kind of a, a little thing on that. So next up I have for you, let's go into a totally different world, but how it's going to come back and be the same. So somebody sent me this thing on Indiegogo. It's called um, River, your mobile backup power station, solar generator, battery power bank. And it says, it says uh, power back that run. I think he meant bank, power bank that runs a fridge 
and it's only 11 pounds. Um, yeah, okay. And it says it'll run a fridge for like 11 hours. So I sent this to Stephen Harris, and this is what I said. Warning, this might make your head explode. Says it runs a fridge for 10 hours. I guess maybe the tiniest mini fridge ever, Jack. Steve sends me an email back. Boom! There goes my head. These people got 850000 on their Indiegogo. Why am I not doing this? I did the math. They have a 35-amp-hour battery inside it. Many fridges, many fridges that have a compressor, unlike Peltier Junctions, actually draw the same power as a full-size fridge. Justin Rose just got a full-size hair, hair fridge freezer for his bus from the, low, for, from the lowest, and they put a kilowatt meter on it when they first plugged it in, and it was warm, and it only drew between 5 and 96 watts. Wow. And as far as this device, Anchor has almost it had almost the 100% same thing on Amazon for over a year. It gives me a link to it. And uh, I have a link to both the amazing Kickstarter product, uh, the River, and the Anchor product. They're about the same amount of money. Why? Uh, Steve says, P.S. I don't like these. They are gadgets and gizmos. I do not like those. Plus, in five years, it's a useless brick. You can't replace the battery. I agree. Now, this is where I want to talk about this. Members of this audience, especially long-term members of this audience, should be immune to this type of bullshit marketing. Okay, because in the end, a battery is like a water tank. Okay, in fact, a water tank is a battery. It's a water battery versus an electrical battery. So if we have a 500-gallon water tank, no matter how fast we can fill it, no matter how many pretty baffles are in it, no matter what its shape is, in the end, it can only hold 500 gallons. So if I say, well... You can fill um, a 50-gallon stock tank with it and have plenty left over. That's true, but you know what you have left over. You have 450 gallons left over. So if I say something like, you can fill five stock tanks and a 500-gallon pool, well, no, you can fill five stock tanks and a 250-gallon pool will be empty, or you can pull, fill five stock tanks and a 500-gallon pool because now it's empty. Okay, This is how batteries work. Now, technology's gotten better, and size and weight of batteries have gone down relative to amp hours. But in the end, amp hours are amp hours. And all you have to do when anybody makes any claims about any device is find out what is the battery. Because none of these things have some new secret battery where some guy, you know, I don't know, freaking, you know, spied on Tesla motors and found their next generation of battery and beat them to it. This is all off-the-shelf shit that's available from China, okay? That's what it is. And you can you could you could put your own one if you have the money to get the fabrication done, you can have your own private label version of one of these things tomorrow. If you're willing to rip people off and basically clone their product, you can even do it for less money. And we see plenty of that going on. You see it on Amazon all the time. You look up a product. There's five other products that look exactly like it. If it's a cheap enough product that you need more than one of, sometimes out of curiosity, you buy both of them, and when you look at their interiors, they're exactly the same. That's all that's going on. This is marketing. And this is, I think, a big case to consider getting Stephen Harris's battery course where he teaches you how to pick the right battery, how to build a backup system in your home, and how to build a mobile backup system in your vehicle. I think it's $29. It's at battery1234.com. 
the first video alone, if you actually watch it and learn and understand how to calculate what batteries are, what different types of batteries do, what their amp hours are, what their, what their capacities are, you become immune to this forever. You'd never fall for this again. You know that if it says, well, it runs a fridge for 10 hours, well, they have clearly gone out and found some sort of fridge and some sort of ideal conditions, or they're lying, but it sure as hell isn't going to run my refrigerator for 10 hours. It's not going to run my refrigerator for an hour. It, it doesn't have enough capacity for a regular refrigerator to start up. I, and, uh, this, I think, is so important. And now, how does it tie into all the other stuff we're talking about today and back to crypto savagery? This is all about fake news. This is the same formula. You, you think the fake news is something like, you know, one day the American media got together and they looked at, well, how did the state-run Pravda used to work? And, well, just because we have gotten so tired of actually being fair and balanced that we'll just go back to that old model and we'll just lie. No. No. This is the, the, the melding, the bonding of marketing and news. That's what you're seeing. What they say in general is true, but it's presented from an angle that leads you to improper or inaccurate conclusions. And then you throw a few lies on top of it. Sometimes outright lies, sometimes unintentional lies. Sometimes the media is so caught up in their own perception bias and their own cognitive dissonance that they embrace a lie that they believe to be true because it sounds like it should be true to them. They don't do real journalism anywhere anymore. But why are you susceptible to it? Why is the American people susceptible to it? Because we've lost the ability to deconstruct things for ourselves and determine whether they make sense or not. When you see an outlandish headline, the first thing you should think is, even if it's true, does it matter to me? Do I give a shit? Kathy Griffin had a rubber head that looked like Donald Trump. I don't give a shit. I don't care. She got fired, and then she blamed other people and cried like an idiot. Okay, and the temperature in my pool did what over this? My ducks laid more or less eggs because of this? My balance in my bank account or my Coinbase account went up or down because of this? My ability to be a father to my son, a grandfather to my grandchildren, was affected how by this? It's important. Okay, you're delusional. First of all, it's probably all a scam. CNN was probably ready to kick her red-headed idiot ass to the curb anyway, because ratings. Okay? Ratings. Sure, ratings sucked. Okay, but she did this. She did it. She did it. She used CNN's airwaves to do this outlandish thing all by herself. No senior executive looked. She had complete carte blanche to do whatever she wanted. No senior executive approved this. Are you freaking delusional? Are you freaking? And you might be going, if he doesn't care about this, why is he talking about it? I don't care about it. I care about the teaching that can come from it. Do you really think that this person was capable of doing this all by herself? So who else got fired? Who else got canned? When the national outrage came... What happened to the people that really had the authority to say yes or no to this? Absolutely nothing. Why? 
because it was all part of the plan. This is probably what's going to happen now. She's going to, hey, my career is over. And no one gives a shit. But there's, you, see, this is what you're missing. There's this whole half of the country pissed off about it. Well, let's see. There's a whole big chunk of the country pissed off about it. There's a small chunk of the country like me. Don't give a shit. Just don't care. Don't affect me. And then there's this whole other thing that hate Republicans, and they really hate Trump, and they think it's funny, even if they won't publicly say so. So when Redhead Bimbo launches her new comedy tour, she'll make millions of dollars while all of those people go see her. We'll call them the tolerant left. They'll probably be attacking me by the end of the day, because I'm just getting started, right? Okay. And you know what it'll do to you? You know how it'll affect you? It doesn't affect you at all. And I've had people on Facebook, I pointed, I posted this meme, and it's a guy racking a, a, a slide of a handgun, and it's like grabbing the rack, and it says, you know, it's basically stop posting crap about this. Like, one more post, right? And uh, I got people like, I'm not going to stop until she goes to prison. Shut up. First of all, she's not going to prison. Second of all, by Friday, you're going to be outraged against something else, because Red and Circus is why? Because you fall for the magical lightsaber solar generator thingy. Because you fall for mass media bullshit. This is a planned staged exit. Or it's just flat stupidity. It's one or the other. But do you know what? The person that had the power to say no didn't suffer any consequences and isn't going to. Once you know that, then you know everything else is theater. But she was crying. She's a freaking actress, you morons! She's an actress! She's a comedian. No, she was an actress. She was in a show called Suddenly Susan with Brooks, uh, Brooke, what was her, uh, Brooke, whoever her name was. Uh, also, Bo Derek popped into my head. Uh, Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. She played a girl named Vicky. She was actually funny on the show. She was the only, the show sucked. She was the only thing good about the show. Then she had a show called My Life on the D list or something. I kind of thought she was funny. And then she disappeared, for, as far as I was concerned, for like 20 years. When she popped back up, I'm like, she's still around? She had a job on C. I didn't even know. I'm like, okay, so she's a pig. All right, fine, whatever. Now I know that. I don't care. Right? But what is everybody? Oh, my God. You're still ang you're going to be angry about this next week? You really are? Hey, have you thought about United Airlines recently where they beat the guy's ass? And, no, you forgot about that, didn't you? What about Ebola? Huh? If you thought about Ebola this week, no, you didn't. What about the fake black lady that was like a top person in the NAAC? Remember how outraged, right? Have you thought about, no, no, bread and circuses. It's all bullshit. It's all designed to keep you distracted. And again, you still have to start giving things the litmus test. Does it affect me? So if it doesn't affect you, don't give a shit. If you think it might affect you, or it bothers you, or you can't let go of it, then deconstruct it to see what's really going to happen. Is there anything you can do about it? Does it really effing matter? Because usually, if there's anything you can do about it, it probably means some sort of strategic shift in your thinking. You're not going to fight it. But the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Bullshit. Bullshit. You're not going to influence these things. This is, this is, here's the other thing. Like, as a voluntarist, how do I look at this? Okay, CNN's a private company. They chose to fire. Fine. CNN was a private company and chose to keep her. Fine. I don't want to watch CNN anymore. I guarantee the people upset about this don't watch CNN anyway. They don't, they're either alternative media or Fox News people. So it doesn't matter. Right? 
If it don't, then don't watch it. Because here's my question. Who was hurting this? My feelings were hurt. Doesn't count. Baron was upset. Well, then Melania and Don are stupid for showing them this. Okay? Like, this is not important. This doesn't affect your life. Go on with your life. You're the president. You can accept being attacked. Who was hurt? If you can't show me a victim, you can't show me a crime. There's no crime here. Stupidity? Asininity? Yes. Vulgarity? Yes. Obscenity? I would say it even goes to the grounds of obscenity. People think I'm obscene all the time, though. But we're not that obscene. No, because I'm not stupid. Okay? And because that's not who I am. This is somebody showing you who she really is. Why do you care? You shouldn't. This little box can power your refrigerator? No, it can't. Do you see how this is all connected? Once you open your eyes and educate yourself to these formulas, all of this shit doesn't matter. And it's so important that you get there. Let's go on to another thing. Let's go on to something that could affect your life. That's why we're here, for the things that could affect your life. And to make sure you're prepared if they happen. So Paul writes in, says, Heard you mention a while back that not all new cars ship with a spare tire. That prompted me to check the 2013 Hyundai that my wife inherited from her brother. Less than two months after buying a spare tire for it, she gets a flat. And to top it off, one of those dirty, no-good police officers we keep hearing about in the news helped her change it. Thanks, Paul. Well, see, that's something you can do. If you have a new car, and you just assume that brand new cars come with spare tires, you can go check and see if you actually have a spare tire. And if you do, then you can start making part of maybe your monthly inspection of your vehicle, taking a little thing called a freaking pressure gauge, and checking your spare tire. Make sure it's got pressure in it, because you know what really sucks? This is what really sucks. You get a flat. You change your tire. You put your spare tire on. You let it down off the jack, and it goes flat. That sucks. You don't want that to happen. But see, these are things that actually can happen in your life. This actually matters. This may not affect the temperature of the water in your pool directly, but that's a metaphor, folks. Some of you don't have a pool. The temperature of the water in your pool means, does it impact you in any meaningful way? And the temperature of the water in your pool is pretty not meaningful. Except, you know, hey, I wanted to swim today. It's a little bit too cold, or the water's a little bit too warm. It's not as enjoyable as I thought it would be. Right? First world problem. And from there, it gets more and more important. But if it doesn't at least rise to that level, metaphorically, then we don't care. So I'm going to tell you what happens. When you're driving down the road and your car goes boom, 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 it does affect the temperature of the water in your pool. And you can do something about it. And it's not very expensive to be prepared. And I'll save my other thoughts on it because it fits in perfectly with today's Amazon item of the day. But do you see how it also fits in with today's theme of crypto savagery? The crypto savage doesn't have time to be worried about what he or she is upset about. Rather, he has to be worried about what he or she is affected by and how to make their life better and how to make the world a better place for their kids. Well, the world can't be a better place when people are holding up. I don't care. And you won't either in a week, if you even do now. Some of you are like, I never cared about this. Good. You have freaking graduated to like the master's level of what I teach. Because that just went like water on the duck's back. I, how can I take this? How can you tell me that you're worried about this when 22 veterans a day are blowing their brains out? You're going to be outraged about this. You're going to go make a big thing out of this. 
Maybe maybe you should go out and like do some relief work or something if you really want to make a difference. Or build a business and hire somebody. Teach a young person a trade. Right? Spread information. Running around ranting and raving and posting memes on Facebook or being outraged. Like, see, when you're outraged, when you're offended, do you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing. But when your tire's flat, you can be outraged at it. I can't believe you're flat. Damn it. Or you can have a plan to do something about it so you can get your ass off the road before a, a semi rolls over you. Little comment there about the cop at the end. I hope I've been clear over the years. I see an institutional problem in law enforcement. That doesn't mean there's not a lot of really great cops in law enforcement. They do the best they can in the system that they're in. And many of them are doing a good job as the system judges them today, and they're still doing things I don't like. If you're arresting someone because you caught them with a bag of grass, I think you're doing a bad job. But the system judges you of doing a good job. You believe in what you're doing, so I understand your misdirection there. Where I think, like, I don't hate you as a human being for that. Okay? But if you're kicking a woman who has got her hands handcuffed behind her back in the mouth while she's sitting in jail, you are a piece of shit. See, that's a pretty easy thing to understand, isn't it? I don't want soldiers going to war, but I understand why men and women join the military and that when they're told to go, that they go. Right? But if they're doing things there beyond what's necessary to carry out their basic objectives that are, that are wrong, like if they're shooting innocent people when they know they're innocent people, then they're scum murderers. Right? That's a pretty easy line. Now let me tell you another quick story that uh, I put out on Facebook that had one cop very upset with me. This is indefensible. This is cognitive dissonance. We'll get to it in a second. So there's a video that's pretty famous. Um, a couple years ago, I think, actually, is when it happened. This lady, state trooper in Florida, is driving down the interstate, and a local Miami cop goes hauling ass over 100 miles an hour without running code past her. And she's like, the hell with this. She lights him up and goes after him. She has to chase him for like six minutes before she catches up to him. And it's like another two minutes when he absolutely knows she's, she's trying to pull him over before he pulls over. He pulls over and he starts making excuses like, I was getting to another one of my jobs, my after cop job job. She pulls him out of his car, handcuffs him and arrests him for, for basically reckless endangerment and not pulling over. Okay, I'd say that lady's a good cop. By my standard, good cop. Holding your brother officers accountable. What happened? Well, she ended up having to move and, and being denied a right to cover up her public records. She ended up suing and winning a lawsuit against 200 named officers. They were, were, were pulling up public records on her and threatening her, following her, shadowing her, sending her hateful email, uh, mail, stuff like that. Okay, And I posted this and I said, if it's a few bad apples, how are there 200 named officers and another 300 that they can't really figure out who they are in this one lawsuit that did this? This lady won this lawsuit. Clearly this was being done. How is 200 officers attacking her for holding her fellow officer accountable when the guy was clearly wrong? How is it a few bad apples? And of course, you get a cop. Well, then you just don't call the police when somebody's trying to hurt your children or your your your, your wife. You just handle it yourself. Uh, cognitive dissonance. Is that is that what that is? We'll get to that in a minute. But this is 
what I'm trying to get through to you guys. There's real problems in this world. And there's people that are part of the problems that are good people. And we have to draw that line. I'm tired of like bringing somebody on the air like I did last week, like Bennett, who's working with returning veterans and having the first thing that comes up, well, what's he doing to keep him from going to war in the first place? Well, what the hell are you doing? I, this, this maligning your fellow human is not what Crypto Savage should be doing. See, if you're fully informed, then you're fully informed about your own history, and you know you used to be that person that was still in the Matrix. So you don't shit on the people in the Matrix. You don't smack them around. You don't talk to them like they're a piece of shit and expect that they're going to, oh, you know what, since you explained it that way, I'd like to join you in what you're doing. No. You stick to the facts about the institutions, and you don't attack the individual unless the individual clearly, clearly warrants it. This cop that went over 100 miles an hour endangering public safety because he thought the rules didn't apply to him, he gets called out as being a piece of shit, oath-breaking asshole. The woman who said, I'm going to put a stop to this and arrested this asshole. By the way, she'd seen him several times before she was able to, to make this stop. This is a good good person in a job that in our current system is necessary even though a lot of bad comes out of it. And then the 200 people that attacked her for doing the right thing, you're all scum. And 200 is not a few. Not when they all have authority and power. But we're going to stick to being worried about some idiot on the television. Because if you're dealing with one of those 200 assholes in a situation... It matters. That affects the temperature of the water in your pool. And if your tire is flat and you can't fix it, that affects the temperature of the water in your pool. You get it yet? That's how this world works. Let's take another one. So next up, Mark sends me an email, and we're going to do the same kind of litmus test with this and talk a little bit about it. Hey, Jack, with the big news of Trump pulling out the U.S. out of the Paris Agreement, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. All right. So let's start out with, does this affect me? Long-term... As a U.S. citizen, anyway, the answer is probably yes, because it is probably a net economic positive for the United States. So a few more points in your mutual funds, um, greater employment opportunities to a degree, uh, cheaper energy, which uh, is a net, a net positive for the entire industry sector in the United States. All those things probably come out of this. Well, it really affects me and my children because the planet is going to melt now. You're retarded if you believe that. And I'll save my defense of the use of the word retarded for later, and it will all tie back into the common thread here. But you are retarded if you think the planet is going to go into nuclear meltdown because we pulled out of the Paris Agreement. Because it's just not true. The best estimate, the net positive best estimate out of all this was it, it will reduce global warming by a half a degree over a hundred years. Okay, this does not affect the temperature of the water in your pool, figuratively or literally, because they don't even know if that's true. It's all bullshit. What it did was it hamstrung the United States and made us in an economically weakened position against the European Union, China, and India. And it basically gave China and India a free pass to pollute their ass off. And it forbade the United States from even doing things like developing clean coal technologies. Now, 
I am a person that actually tells you I don't believe in clean coal. I don't believe there's a such thing. But I do believe that coal can be burned very, very cleanly. With CO2 scrubbers and things like that, which I'm not even worried about the CO2, but even for you alarmists, that you can burn coal incredibly cleanly and incredibly cheap. My problem with coal is the mining itself. Okay? But that's the same problem I have with your fancy lithium-ion batteries. And there's got to be better ways to do that, because we're going to mine something somewhere. And just because you don't see the hole doesn't mean, the, well, the hole's in Australia. Well, it's still a hole in the earth, okay? So just because you don't see the hole doesn't mean the hole's not there. It's, it's, it's affecting our planet one way or another. And we're going to mine something for the foreseeable future. And there are ways to, like, they've gotten pretty sophisticated with mining coal. So do I think we should be doing that? Eh, well, we've got to do something for the time being. But to put the United States at a disadvantage where China can mine all the coal that it wants, and the U.S. is hamstrung from doing that, including developing technologies to make it more environmentally friendly, is just stupid. Here's the big thing, though. This is, this is the cut and dry and end of it, if you believe in the state and government. If you believe in the state and government, if you believe they're supposed to be there, and whether you believe that or not, they are there, and we should at least follow the way they're designed to work. They're like, we can't do it. We agreed to it. We have to do it. France says we're not allowed. We have to give them a year's notice. We don't have to do shit. We don't have to do shit. Here's why. The Constitution of the United States is very clear about treaties. This isn't a treaty. It's an agreement. Aha, uh -huh, exactly. It is an agreement. It's not binding. It's not binding. Anything that's an agreement with other nations that binds the United States to do anything where we, it's not voluntary, we have to do it, is defined as a treaty. And for a treaty to be valid, the president can negotiate it, an ambassador can negotiate it, they can all draw it all up, everybody can agree to it, and then it has to go to, dun dun dun, dun it has to go to the Senate for ratification. And if it doesn't, it ain't a treaty, and it don't mean shit, and the executive branch that agreed to it can then decide they don't want to agree to it anymore. But we have to keep our word. No, we don't. First of all, no, we don't. Second of all, it's not our word. It was the Obama administration's word. Hillary Clinton said she would keep that word. Donald Trump said, I will break this agreement. It's a bad deal. The American people in our constitutional electoral process chose Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, who said, I will break the deal. He broke the deal. So it's clean. It's as clean as anything politically has ever been or ever could be. It's all bullshit. I don't recognize the authority of, of, of my state, the United States of America. I see the state is invalid and defunct and not having the authority that it claims, but I recognize that the, the force is there to create the illusion of that authority, and I have to comply with it, but I don't recognize it as legitimate. So I damn sure don't recognize France's opinion of how I should live my life or how people that live in my country should execute their business as valid. I, you don't even have to be a voluntarist or an anarchist to do that. Do you think France should be telling the United States what to do? The most diehard statist, other than the social justice weenies, right? Guys, I'm going to stop calling them warriors. They're social justice weenies, right? Only they think that other nations... I mean, you if you pulled a hundred random people off the street and said, should France be able to tell the United States what they can and can't do within their borders? They'd say, hell no. What do you think about pulling out of the Paris Agreement? It's terrible. My children are going to die. You are retarded. You're retarded. 
This is, this is not going to hurt you in any way. It's not going to hurt your children or your children's children. It's not. And we are going to make advances in alternative energies as quickly as possible because it's beneficial to do so. We don't need any agreement to make that happen. The reason it's going slower than many of you would like is because it doesn't work as well as you think it does. That's why the little box, the little magic box on Indiegogo can't run your refrigerator because it doesn't work like that. And it's why your belief that the giant Powerwall battery from Tesla is so much cleaner than coal is because you don't see the hole that that lithium came out of. You don't know what it takes to get that lithium out of the ground. And since it's far away and no one shows it to you and there's not a marketing message built around the environmental damage that it does, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Right now, every form of energy production has environmental negative consequences. And all we can do is be as responsible in how we mitigate, manage, and undo those consequences. And when you have to use a lot more damage to get what looks like cleaner energy, it's not cleaner energy. The car just has a longer tailpipe. And I'm going to speak to some of you right now that are completely on the other side of this issue that need to get your head straight, too. A windmill takes 89 years to pay back. It's, no, it doesn't. It takes three and a half at the most. Unless you put it somewhere where the wind doesn't blow. But they kill birds. So what? Buildings kill birds. Like, when you say, like, solar doesn't work at all, windmills don't work at all, hydro, only coal, then you're wrong, too. The reality is all of these energy technologies have a basis in reality. And until you don't flip a switch in the morning and turn the lights on in your house, being tied into some sort of productive facility somewhere else. And that means if you completely go off-grid, where'd your batteries come from? Where'd your solar panels come from? Did you build all that shit yourself? Or did somebody make that shit for you? And what were the environmental consequences of the creation of all those things? And how do they compare with the environmental consequences of the person living next door to you that's tied into the grid, that's primary energy source now, where they live is natural gas. And you might find that you've done more environmental damage per kilowatt you use than they did. Why? Facts. Math. Reality. That's, this is just how this stuff works. We are going so far technologically, but it's just not fast enough for some people. We have what we have today. What do I think about this? Again, it was an unconstitutional agreement that bound the United States without senatorial approval, which made it an invalid treaty, called an agreement to work a loophole by an administration that tried to bully their way and make things happen the way they wanted to without making a case to the American people that was convincing enough to get the American people on board so that their Senate would vote to ratify the treaty. And they knew they couldn't do that, so they put this unconstitutional, voluntary, yet legally binding within the borders of the nation thing into effect And whether you like Trump or not, he said, I will get rid of this, and then he did so. And I got to give people, even people I don't like credit, when they keep their word. He kept his word, yet again. I mean, the man comes off like an idiot at times. But by and large, keeps his word. That's something we haven't seen in the Oval Office, well, for a long time. Let's go to one that doesn't theme. 
for once. That's going to theme anyway, because I'm going to make it theme, because I can make anything theme. Watch this. Um, says, Jack, I was listening to episode 2015, caller asking about a way to seal a small pond and said he doesn't have, and said he doesn't have a source of bentonite clay. If you go to local advanced or auto zone or to the local Walmart, cheap bags of cat litter and cheap bags of floor cleaner are usually 100% bentonite clay and could be after a few dollars for 50 pounds. If you're going to do a small pond, this may be an option. If you have no other way, thanks for all you do, J.D. Well, J.D., thank you, but there's something important there. This is, but everybody knows. And, no, you have to do your research. So I remember reading this article about this girl that decided she was going to put a small duck pond in her backyard. And she went out and tested the theory that the cheap, uh, plain Jane uh, cat litter from Walmart was the same sodium or same same bentonite that people used to seal ponds. And the answer was wah wah. It didn't work. It didn't work. So she did a little bit more research and found that the bentonite that used is used to seal ponds is sodium bentonite, pure sodium bentonite. She found out that there is clumping cat litters that are pure sodium bentonite. So she went out and got a bag of this pure sodium bentonite, and she did some some tests, mixing it with soil, putting it in a bucket, seeing if it would hold water, seeing if it leaked, and that one worked. So she made her pond with this new stuff, and she put two great articles about how to determine if a particular brand of cat litter will work for you, and then how to actually do it, including mixing it in with the soil, which is what I wish I did when I put in my pond because I didn't. I just lined it straight with bentonite, and it is kind of a mucky mess because of that. works. does what it's supposed to do, but it would be a lot nicer if I had mixed it with the native soil, and it would have made a better pond. So I don't want you to make that mistake. And who was this lovely woman? Our own Erica Strauss. So I have two links for you guys today in the show notes about how to line a pond using kitty litter. Now, how does this tie into this whole line of thinking, group think, society as a whole? So what happened is, some genius said, bentonite, that's just cat litter and hell. This stuff from Walmart is 100% bentonite. There's nothing else in it. It's the same thing. So they made a post about it. So somebody else made a post about it. So somebody else made a post about it. So then all the theoretical non-doers start talking about, well, when you want to make a pond, it's going to be small. You can just go down to Walmart, and the best stuff to get is this $2 a bag stuff because it's the cheapest, and it's just bentonite. It's the same thing. None of them tested it. Now, if, if you go out and buy a bag and test it yourself and see that it doesn't work, it, it, it's not a big deal. But could you see if you went on Walmart.com and ordered like $400 worth of bent, uh, cat litter or you know, like pallets and had it delivered to your house and then found out it didn't work, but everybody says it works, you can go out and find tons of forum posts right now specifically recommending Walmart cat litter, the cheap stuff. Well, the stuff that you got to use isn't real expensive, but it's different. And it works different, and you can read all about it in Erica's article. So, what did it take to break this myth? Well, it took somebody actually acting on the information and doing it in an intelligent, logical, testbed method instead of wasting lots of money to find out, hey, this is a mistake. And then chronicling it and putting it out. And has that gotten rid of the myth? No. No. The myth is still prevalent, but 
she did such a good job that enough people talked about it that if you do stealing a pawn with kitty litter, she has like the first two, two of the first three listings on Google. So if someone does the most menial level of research, whether they're writing up something in theory or executing something in practice, the information is now available to anybody with eyes to see and ears to hear to find out the truth about how to do this the right way and what product will actually get it done for you. Welcome to the future. See, in 1985, if someone had actually published that in a magazine and you had read it, there was no way to really follow up on it except trying it yourself. And then you could write a very angry letter back to the magazine that they may or may not publish in the front, or you could write your own article chronicling they may or may not publish it. But that magazine got sent out that month, and if nobody saw it, or the person that read the one in the dentist's office still believed, there's no way to check on it without the Internet. There's no way for, even when the correct information comes out, for it to become universally available. See, this is the world we live in today. And this is why all of the bullshit can be deconstructed. This is why all of the lies can be deconstructed. This is why marketing should become the most honest profession in the world, though it remains one of the most dishonest professions in the world. And they, they continue to do this because they know the average person is mentally lazy, <clears throat> they won't check into it, and that you can use the truth to sell a lie without ever actually telling a lie. And there's your media. As I said, every one of these ties back into the core idea today. So, you know, kind of next up, This one ties straight in um, to the way people are and why it's so easy to mislead them. This comes from Josh, and I almost like wrote it off until I realized that he said that you know he knows he was a little bit dumb for thinking it would matter, but so or he says it's stupid of him. So let me read this. Holy crap, Jack! I got into a debate with some dude on Facebook about vaccines. Yes, I know, stupid of me. So that's why. Okay, keep reading. I'm actually agnostic and try to learn where I stand. Anyway, this dude makes all these statements, quote, it's impossible for a vaccinated person to transmit the virus, quote, uh, this, science, this is science, not opinion, quote, it's impossible for a vaccinated person to get the virus. So I say, if someone who is vaccinated gets the virus that destroys your argument, right, to which he agrees. Then someone else chimes in that she was vaccinated but contracted the virus because the vaccination had essentially worn off. But she's all for she's all in favor of mandatory vaccines. I tell the first guy, clearly your assessment of vaccines is incorrect. Just with this example alone, there are many, many scientists who do not to believe this hype. The dude then lights me up with all kinds of personal attacks. I just laugh to move on. But man, if your argument is so weak, you need to light people up who challenge your assertions. I'm starting to feel the pro-vaccine side is no less loony than the fringe environmentalists. Crazy. Love you, brother, Josh. Okay, so um, I, I almost didn't use this, but I thought, what a, what a great lesson here. So, because you see this play out all the time. Somebody says, this is the absolute truth. And you say, well, here are Facts dispelling your truth. And I'm not going to get into the intricacies of vaccine debate here. I'm not going to get into herd immunity, which is largely bullshit. I'm not going to do it because it doesn't matter. The person making the claim claimed that it's impossible once you're vaccinated for you to get the disease. Okay? The the person having the debate said, here's conclusive proof that you're wrong. And instead of saying, oh, that is new information, now I need to reform my opinion. They can't because of fear. 
Because you can, you can learn that truth that you were wrong about that. And you can still come down pro-vaccine. And if, and if I don't say that, I'm going to have a thousand emails in my box tomorrow telling me how, but it's still good. Okay, I, I know what you're going to say. I don't agree with you, but I know what you're going to say. Okay? But the person couldn't even do that. Instead, you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're a dumbass. You're stupid. You want everybody to die. This is cognitive dissonance. And this is the reason that all this shit we're talking about today works. People, and it, it's the older a person is, the more actions they've taken in their life that enhances their level of cognitive dissonance when they're made to feel uncomfortable by having their belief challenged. Okay? I mean, I'm not an atheist. But if you want to see somebody get pissed off, tell a person that believes in God that's religious, especially a member of a revealed religion like Christianity, there is no God. Here is evidence dispelling the existence of God. Well, you're just a... I mean, see, you, you, they can't even consider the evidence. I'm not saying all Christians can't. I'm saying most can't. Because the faith overrides the facts. Now, there are Christians that have very logical reasons for their beliefs, and I respect that. But there are some that you cannot have a conversation and present a fact to. There's the loony ones. The ones that think the earth is flat. Yes, they exist. The ones that believe in the young earth theory, that dinosaurs are not real. They're just made up. They're fake. Or, or something like that. Like you, you can't discuss that with that person. But if you present to them the facts, this is, this is actually proof that while maybe when they say 4.5 billion, they could be off by a tick or two, this is why the earth is definitely older, older than 6,600 or 10,000 years or whatever you believe. Here's all these, they, they go nuts. And it happens with every line of thinking. So if a person is vested in conservatism and you present them evidence that these aspects of conservatism are damaging to society and they're actually facts, they're not made up nonsense, they're not, oh, you want everybody to be sick. and you No, when you actually can say, look, this is, this is what... The war on cannabis has done to society. And, and these are facts about places where it's been decriminalized or made legal or what have you, about how it's actually made society better. And these are con and they get upset. That's cognitive dissonance. And the left is, I would say actually the left in general is more guilty of cognitive dissonance. Because their arguments are so based on emotion that they almost never stand up to fact. And the truth is generally something that both struggle with because the system was designed to divide you in the first place. And you might wonder how the people in power would, with such confidence, set up a false dichotomy, split people in half, and then like sit back and go, they're not going to figure this out because they understand cognitive dissonance. And they understand the more successful you become, however you define it in your life, the more entrenched you will become, and the more violently you will defend a position, even when it's been logically refuted. That's the world that you live in today. Unless you decide to break free from it. And you, then you have to be open to the fact that anything that you believe could be wrong. And that doesn't mean that you decide, well, everything I believe is wrong. That's just foolish. 
That doesn't mean that you never absolutely take a stand for something. But you always you know, remain open to new evidence. You don't remain open to new evidence. People say, well, you're a climate change denier. Well, first of all, I'm not a climate change denier. I do not believe that global warming caused by man's actions on Earth is the catastrophe that we're told that it is. Now, if you can present to me actual evidence rather than hyperbole and nonsense and some blathering on about consensus of a group of people that we know are politically manipulative, then I would be happy to review that evidence. But you can't. If it ever shows up, I'll look at it and I'll make a new determination. I believe in the right to self-defense. You can make very logical arguments with me that guns are dangerous. I will even agree with you that guns are dangerous when they're in the hands of stupid people, or dangerous people, or bad people. But that's not going to change my belief in my right to responsibly own a firearm and defend myself. I believe in a moral absolute that taking other people's stuff is wrong. You can make a very logical argument with me about all the good things that happen because of taxation. I will even agree that some of the things that happen are good, but I won't change my moral belief that they're wrong. You can make very strong arguments to me that a lot of what the United States does in foreign theaters of war is wrong and we shouldn't be doing it. Not only will I agree with you, you don't even have to argue with me. I'll probably go ahead of you and how wrong I think it is. But that doesn't mean that I think the person that's sent there that believes in what they're doing is evil. I believe that they have been lied to by a system that they believed in. And I'm not going to persecute that person because morality. Because I know the way that person thinks. And I know what was done with that person. And I know what our government does. They take the most noble from us and they send them off on these pursuits to their own objectives. All while that person believes they're defending mom and dad and apple pie. And their little sister and their little brother and everybody else back here. I realize that we're all people and we're all in this together. And even I struggle with it sometimes. Because I'll see things that defy what I believe. And I'll always try to force myself to examine it. The thing is, not only the longer you're around, the more you become subjective to cognitive dissonance. The longer you're around the less you'll be affected by it if you don't let it run your life. Because what will happen is you'll stop having the experience and you'll already have the knowledge. Like somebody will point something out to you and like, well, I already examined everything you're saying and I still believe what I believe. You don't, but you don't get upset about it then because it doesn't challenge your belief anymore. So it's up to you whether you become further entrenched or further freed. Red pill, blue pill all over again. But when I say something that challenges your core belief, before you get mad at me and send me hate mail, oh, Jack, I can't believe, I've been listening for years, and I put up an awful lot, but then you said this, and I just can't buy that. And Why don't you examine the facts? I can't believe you're not going to vote. You're a surrender monkey. Whatever, you know, come on, wait a minute. But I write this whole, argue, I like refute every argument in an article several years ago about this. You can't complain if you don't vote. Like, totally destroy that. And I get emails saying, well, you don't complain anymore then. You see what I'm saying, right? So what happened was it hurts. It hurts when something you dearly believe in is challenged. And even if it's not disproven, it's successfully challenged with fact. It hurts your mind. This is the discomfort that is cognitive dissonance. And until you can start to recognize it yourself, and work around it and through it, you're going to remain controlled by the system. It's why you think it matters 
that some red-headed idiot comedian had a bloody rubber head that looked like President Trump. That's why you think it matters. Because you've been taught that that's important. If you see the state's authority as illegitimate, but pragmatically recognize the force that is behind it, all of a sudden, well, you know what? It, I would be pissed if it was my head, but the whole country wouldn't be. You know, if it was my rubber effigy. And I wouldn't even, I'm like, really, that's, that's what you got? That's the best you could do? But you wouldn't have this, like, people screaming everywhere. But, but, but Jack, he's the president. No, he's a fellow member of planet Earth that happens to have a position of power that I don't see as being legitimate, not because of who he is, because I don't recognize it in any of them. I don't believe, I don't believe that I have the right to take your property against your will. Therefore, I don't believe in some magic that lets me have someone else do it on my behalf. So therefore, we're all equal, we're all people, we all do a job, some for good, some for ill. Some people are really good people in positions that they think they can make a difference that aren't going to, but you're not better than me, you're not more important to me than me. Donald Trump's not a better man than I am. He's not a better man or you know better man than you or if you're a woman he's not a better person than you. He's just another human being that we've granted a power to. Now what he's good at is making money. And I think he has a right to all the money he wants to make. As long as he's not stealing from people. I've said I think overall Trump's an honest man, but now he's engaged in one of the most dishonest activities on the planet. Governance. It's inherently dishonest. Yet it's the system we have and I think he believes in what he's doing. But I'm not going to get upset about this. Why? Because I don't care. I just don't give a shit. And I'm hoping by now you don't give a shit either. Let's take another one. I'm really going to piss some people off now. This comes from uh, Mick. This was meant to be an offline question, but I decided it actually needs to be on the air. It says, hey, Jack, I was just listening to episode 2000, I think, where you said something was retarded and noted that if people don't like you saying that, they should go elsewhere because you're over it or something along those lines. Not bashing in case I worded it wrong enough to sound like I'm upset about it or something. So needless to say, I'm not writing to tell you how you should think about it, but I wanted to ask if you'd mind sharing why you think it's an okay term. Frankly, it's one I use sometimes in some contexts, but I often feel bad or question saying it. It's kind of like when you noted that what you think, what you don't think, um, and I don't say this word on the air anymore, so I'm going to say the abbreviation. It's like when you noted that you don't think GD is taking the Lord's name in vain, which, by the way, made a whole lot more sense to me, and I'm asking you for the same reason. Your opinions are usually well thought out and well informed, and clearly I respect your opinions. So anyway, if you have the time or feel like explaining it, I'd like to benefit from your experience and reasoning. As ever, if you don't have time or just don't feel like explaining it or anything else, no problem at all, hoping you and your wife and all assorted little creatures are doing well. Mick. All right, so let's start out with why I don't use GD on the air. I do believe there's there's actually nothing wrong with that term. However, being a pragmatist, I recognize some people's religious sensibilities. And I have made a choice not to use the phrase GD, God D, okay, um, on the air. Now, if you see me in person, I might use it. It is a term I use. Because I have simply decided that as a courtesy to my audience which is, you know, a significant segment is, is, is Christians who take their faith seriously. 
that out of respect to you, I have chosen not to use it. If you came to me pissed off because someone else was using it, I'd tell you not to get your panties in a wad and go on about life. Seriously. As I don't use, generally speaking, on the air, the F word, because I don't feel that it's necessary. Um, however, if you told me, well, I can't believe you're working with so-and-so because he says it all the time. Well, I would tell you I don't give an F and I would use the whole word. So I just have made some choices about this. But I've also made some choices about where to draw the line. And unlike GD, which, again, I think I'll link to an article today that explains what taking the Lord's name in vain is, if you want to know my thoughts on it, on a site that I occasionally blog on. okay? And you can read that, and I'll just say no more about that. But unlike that, which has a religious basis for people that really believe it is an affront to their faith, the word retard has no such thing. It doesn't. And it, I believe it is, the exa it is one of the points of genesis of all political correctness lunacy. So let's look at what, well, first of all, let's do this. How did this start? Well, what started was we used to refer to mentally challenged people as retarded. Somebody decided that didn't sound very nice, and it wasn't very nice to call them that anymore, so we came up with the more politically correct term of mentally challenged. And he said, you can't call these people retarded anymore. And pretty much society said, okay, we won't. Doesn't go any further, kind of okay with that. But what does the word mean? It's This is a dictionary definition. Adjective. Dated. Offensive. Less advanced in mental, physical, or social development that is than usual for one's age. So let's look at this without being all upset about it and say, how would this apply to something like the growth of a duckling? If you had a duckling that was like the runt of the flock, And he, what, he wasn't like, mentally messed up or anything. He was just physically not growing as fast as the rest. And you said his growth rate is retarded compared to his peer group. That would be a completely accurate use of the word. Okay? And there's nobody that I know of that has a deeply felt religious belief that that's an affront or profane. And if you do, I don't know. Go off your Scientology cult or whatever. I, I don't even know what to tell you. Okay. Um, the second one, which the dictionary people have also said, informal and offensive is very foolish or stupid. So when I say, if you really believe that your outrage matters on the whole, you are retarded, I'm saying you are very foolish or stupid. Now, you'd say, well, then why don't you just say stupid? Because where are we going to draw the line here, folks? Where, how far are we going to be berated and beaten into changing the dictionary? Where the dictionary people say, well, from like, I guarantee you, if you find old issues of the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the definition would be largely unchanged, but the offensive part wouldn't be there. One day, there was enough pressure that they added offensive. Like, you're not supposed to say this anymore. So where do we draw the line? How about stupid? You're stupid. This is being done right now. It's being pushed out of our school system. And it's been done for a long time. My sister-in-law, who I love, by the way, I remember her, my nephew was probably six years old, and we were out somewhere, and he was with us, and I said, well, that's stupid. And he said, we don't say that word, Uncle Jack. And I thought for a second, did I, did I say, you know, 
a cuss word in front of the kid? I'm thinking like, what? I said, and I turned and said, Andy, what, what word? He said, stupid. That's not a nice word. We don't say that word. I'm like, I'm going to have to talk to your mother. Right? Because if we stop using stupid, then stupid behavior becomes acceptable. So then we're down to foolish. Now you see what we're doing. Read 1984. We're whittling down the dictionary. We're determining that words are no longer acceptable to be used. We're determining that words are no longer acceptable to be used. And it's much worse than the GD thing, and here's why. No one has said you can't use the word God, and no one has said you can't use the word damn, and most of the people that don't like the two of them together are just simply asking that you don't do it. I don't know of anybody being harassed for it. I don't know of being able to look it up in the dictionary and seeing it being labeled as offensive. It's a completely voluntary thing that some people extend as a courtesy to other people. Now, if I knew you as a person, and we were somewhere together, and I knew you had a mentally challenged child, and I knew that you took particular offense to the term retarded, I would avoid using it in your presence as a courtesy to you as an individual. However, I am not going to alter my show and, and, and start whittling words out of it because it might offend somebody somewhere. So the basis behind this again is number one, you've told, society's been told you don't refer to people that we used to refer to as retarded as retarded. Okay, fine. I accept that. I will call them whatever science and medicine deems is the accurate term for their condition, whether it's severely autistic, moderately autistic, mentally challenged, whatever. Whatever that label is. Well, then you can't tell me then that that label is no longer appropriate. Because that label defines less advanced in mental, physical, and social development than usual for one's age, or being very foolish or stupid. And as the user of the term, I get to determine how I'm using it, and I would tell you that I'm seldom using it in the less advanced mental, physical, social development, and more using it as very foolish or stupid. And what is the difference? The mentally challenged person who can't understand a concept has a physical defect that prevents said understanding and should be accepted for that and helped through the situations in life that are made difficult because of it. The person who's being very foolish or stupid has the capacity to comprehend, is making their own life difficult, and therefore is experiencing real-world, non-spiritual, actual karma, which can include being called a retard. Okay, And if that pisses you off, then you probably haven't actually heard any of the words that have come out of my mouth for the past ten minutes. And you don't want to understand what I'm saying. And that's okay. And it's okay if I tell you that's behaving retarded. You know, you're being a retard. You're being foolish and, and stupid because you're letting someone else define for you how a word is to be used. Because what word's next? How many words can we use anymore? We have a whole group of, of, of morons out there. Retards. In other words, they perform, they, they act very foolish and stupid, who no longer want you to use the words he and she because you're assuming somebody's gender. We have people out there that are clearly men that want to be called women. I don't mean men that dress like women, look like women, live their life as a woman, and want to be called she. I don't know a lot of those people. In fact, I don't think I know any of them. 
but you might know one and not know it. Some of them are pretty good at pulling off whatever they pull off. That person wants to be called she, I don't really care. But if you're like a chick and you are a woman and you're obviously a woman and you say I identify as a man, you're free to do that, but I'm not going to play your game with you. I'm not going to contribute to your delusional state that, that, that makes you think you're a man. Now, if you want to live as a man and look like a man, eh. You want to change your, I, I mean, I don't know. You want to snip things or cut things or reform. You do whatever you want. But in the end, you are what you are, no matter what you think. And, and when you get upset that somebody doesn't identify you the way you want to be identified, when you physically are not identifiable that way, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Like, I'm not sorry. You're being retarded. So if you don't draw the line at things like retarded, where do you draw the line? Now, notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we need a national uh, petition to redefine the word of retarded as being acceptable, and we need to petition the Merriam-Webster Dictionary people to remove the term offensive. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. What I'm saying is, in some instances, I will extend a, a, a social courtesy to people because of certain conditions, and on some things I won't. And this is one that I won't. I won't extend the social courtesy to you. And now that you know that, you are free to say, Jack sucks and I want to leave over this retarded issue. Or Jack's made a clear, logical case that the word has specific meanings that, oh my God, do they apply to large segments of society who are not mentally challenged. They are foolish and stupid people that have the mental capacity to understand but choose not to because they don't want to because cognitive dissonance. Welcome to 2017. This next one comes from Richard. Here's what it says. I think this is fixable if the federal government gets the hell out of the way. What do you think? Relax and take a deep breath before even trying to read this. Epic fail. Every student flunks state exam. I'm going to read part of this article to you, just enough of it so you can get the gist of it. Because it goes off into politics and things like that that really are not the problem here. And no, I do not agree, Richard, that if the federal government gets out of the way that this can be fixed. Because local governments, by and large, are causing these problems. Um, the federal government has a, a lot of say in education, but it has nowhere near as much say as local governments. And if you look at the worst performing schools, they're in Democrat-led uh, cities and counties and towns. They just are. All right? Uh, and that, that's not what the federal government's doing. That's what local government's doing. And I believe that the most oppressive government often is local government, uh, especially with school systems. Here we go. And an astonishing outcome, an investigation of six Baltimore schools found not a single student passed the state's proficiency test in the subjects of math and English. Five high schools and one middle school were surveyed in a probe by Baltimore's Fox TV affiliate, which spotlighted one school in which 89% of the students had the, had the lowest score on a scale of five. That would be a one, by the way. 89% had a one, okay? Scores of four or five indicate proficiency with a subject, but at Frederick Douglass High School, only one student got as high as a three on his state exam. WBFF-TV profiled one student at the high school who was among the 50% of his class that graduated. That's 50% failed to graduate, okay? At the age of three months, Devon Warren's father was shot to death, and before his 18th birthday, two uncles and a classmate were gunned down in the streets of his city. Uh, his mother, Jane Nelson, reached out, re reacted to not finding 
to finding that not a single student at the school passed the proficiency exam. She said, that's absurd to me. That's absurd to me, she told the station. That's your teacher's report card. Okay, I'm going to stop there, but you get it. Um, all of these schools, not one student was deemed as proficient in English or math, including the 50% that were able to graduate were not proficient in math or English. And the, this mother's dead on. That's your teacher's report card. Well, this takes me back to where I had completely swallowed the red pill myself and gotten out of the matrix. And but I, you know, I was my, I was an independent thinking libertarian minarchist at the time. And my son would come home worried about the the star test, which is the standardized test in Texas at the time that he was in school. And he was, I mean, I'm talking like third and fourth grade. This kid was a straight A student. He was freaked out about this test. Why? Because the teachers were freaking them out about the test every day. No matter what your grades are, if you don't pass this test, you don't graduate. Shut up. And I used to tell him, you just need to not worry about this. You're a straight A student. If you don't pass that test, that is your teacher's test, not you. Don't worry about it. You'll do fine. Now, by the time he was, like, in high school years, he was like, anybody that can't pass these tests shouldn't be graduating anyway. Like, it's so much easier than what we actually learn. So, like, he figured it out over time. But that's what these tests are. They're really to test the teachers. Because the teachers give them the kid a passing grade. Well, can the kid actually do the work that that grade indicates that they're capable of doing? And the answer is no. Now, here's the thing. Um, Richard thought my head would explode when I read this. It's not going to. Listen, this is Dallas School District. This is the same shit I've been telling you for nine years. This isn't news to me. I, this isn't something I didn't know. Dallas Independent School District has a 50% graduation rate. Okay? Overall. Now, here's the thing about DISD. There's two DISDs. There's one. No, there's, there's two. There is the shitty schools in Dallas, and then there's what, what you know modern society calls the good schools in Dallas. If you take the wealthy areas of DISD out and judge only the non-wealthy areas, their graduation rate is actually worse than 50%. It's something like 35% or something like that. <laughs> Do you get that? But we, we need more funding for this. See, I'm not even upset about that anymore. Because I know, as a crypto savage, what's coming. These systems have to be torn apart. And I'm going to save, or I'm going I'm to explain to you what's really going on here with something that's a new phrase to me. Neil Spackman posted an article today. I haven't even read the article. I've only read the first part because it, it, it worked in. And I'll look at it and see if there's anything else I want to say about it in the future. But when I saw the terminology, I had to check it out. The, the article was called The Iron Law of Institutions in the Left. And that makes perfect sense to me, but I would just say that it probably applies to the right, too. Okay? And you can read the article if you want. I'm not going to cheap you out of the article. I'm just not going to read it. The show's going to be a long show today anyway because it's got so much material in it. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to re read the whole thing. But when I saw this, I said, hey, somebody's ripping off Jeffrey Pornell. Jeffrey Pornell has the iron law of bureaucracy. And here's what the iron law of bureaucracy is. First, there will be those who are devoted to the goals of the organization. Examples are dedicated classroom teachers in an educational bureaucracy. Many of the engineers and launch technicians and scientists at NASA, and even some agricultural scientists and advisors in the former Soviet Union Collective Farming Administration. 
Secondly, there will be those dedicated to the organization itself. Examples are many of the administrators in education systems, many professors of education, many teachers, union officials, much of the NASA headquarters staff, etc. The Iron Law states that in every case, the second group will gain and keep control of the organization. It will write the rules and control promotions within the organizations. So basically, all bureaucracies are doomed to ultimate failure, and they'll be held hostage by people that are more dedicated to the, the institution than the mission of the institution. Well, eventually that will swing, and I believe that this law is the next stage. This is what happens next in bureaucracies and institutions. The iron law of institutions is this. The people who control the institutions care first and foremost about their power within the institution rather than the power of the institution itself. Thus, they would rather the institution fail while they remain in power within the institution than for the institution to succeed if that requires them to lose power within the institution. Okay, you can throw the left-right paradigm out, but my God, that is... Those two laws explain everything you need to know about why government school as an institution is failing. Because the people in those institutions are bifurcated first into the teacher that goes there with the mission to educate children, and everybody that's in power doesn't really give a shit. They want to preserve the institution. They're Lincoln. Lincoln didn't give a shit about slavery. He wanted to preserve the union. Okay? But then, eventually... As you move up in an institution or bureaucracy, you become more obsessed with your own power. And even if what you're doing is causing the organization itself to fail at its mission, it's not just that you're more dedicated to the institution than the mission. Even if it's actively causing failure, you'll do it as long as it strengthens your control. And the higher you go, the more you have to lose, the more you're willing to do it, and the greater impact you have on the institution as a whole. This is terminal meltdown. When you reach this point, when you move past the iron law of bureaucracy to the iron law of institution, it's the death spins of the institution. This is where government school is. It's in its death throes. Everybody, everybody in their heart knows this. But our old friend cognitive bias comes back because all teachers are heroes. And they need more money. And they have to spend their own money to buy tissues for their classrooms. What a load of shit! Who told you, teachers, that you needed to have tissues for your children? Why are you doing it? I don't want to hear your soft stories. Take a tissue and cry if you want to. I don't want to hear it. It's a dying institution. And that's where it's gotten to. That's where it's gotten to. And, and people are rebelling in numbers like never before. Homeschool used to be this weird thing that, like, even now, what, you know what you see more than new homeschoolers? You know what I hear all the time? I wish I could. Let me tell you why that's important. People say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter until they do. No, 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 it's a perception change. And perception is reality, right? So it used to be 20 years ago, if you mentioned homeschooling, the average person responded this way. Oh, I don't think that's very good. And they don't get social exposure. and you know. But as more and more students came out of that system and more and more teenagers were walking around that were being homeschooled, almost everybody now has met a 15-year-old that's been homeschooled 
and went, wow, I can't believe the way that person's capable of having a conversation to the point where once you know what to look for, like I interviewed a couple kids the last time I hired somebody for a farmhand. And this one young girl, she was in my house for five seconds, and I said, you're homeschooled, aren't you? And you know why? Because she was 15, and she was carrying herself like she was a smart 21. Because there's a lot of 21-year-old stupid people, okay? But she was carrying herself like an articulate, smart 21-year-old in a 15-year-old body. And I knew it. So, when people see that, Then it's not, see, the, the cognitive dissonance when somebody says, well, listen, these kids are winning science fairs and they're doing this and they have their, it, it's all theory. But when you meet a 15-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy, and you say, hi, my name's Jack. And he says, hi, Mr. Jack, my name's Frank. And he shakes your hand with a firm, you know, firm man-like handshake. And you start talking to him like, well, what do you do? And he starts having this adult-level conversation with you. And it comes up, well, yeah, I'm homeschooled. Okay, now see, cognitive dissonance is out the window. Because now you're not, there's no one to debate this with. It's sitting in front of you. So then what happens? Then the perception begins to change, and it shifts. And now I would bet you that the vast majority of parents feel that if it's possible, children generally get a better education from individualized learning than from collective learning. And that's why we should stop even calling it homeschool or unschool or any of these things. We should start referring to it as what it is, individualized learning. Because now, does it happen at home? Do, do we have private companies setting up places for kids to go when parents have to work? Does what's the remnants of the government school try to create an environment for? Like Now it's just like, do you think that we're better off with individualized learning or collective learning? Well, unless you're retarded, uh-huh, you would say, well, individualized. Because everything's better that's individualized. Let me explain that. And you, I mean, it'll make perfect sense. Logic and reason are what we, we, we preach here. So, do you think a suit that I'll, I go buy in a store, that I get my size and my size of the pants, and I buy that suit, is going to fit me better than one that I go to a suit store and I start out with that and then they take measurements and they custom it. You know, they, they take it in, they take the cuffs up. Which one's going to fit better? Which one's going to look better on me? Which one's going to make me look better in a suit? Okay. Now, if we add to it, if I go to a tailor that takes all my measurements and makes me a suit for me, doesn't even start with a template that gets, you know, which one of those three is going to look best on me? If they're made out of the same material, the same color, etc. Well, anybody that's not retarded, right, or being retarded on purpose would say, well, of course the custom suit is better. Okay, so when it comes to making suits, individualized is better than collective. Think of anything. If I go buy a computer off the shelf... Versus go talk to a computer expert that builds me one for my needs, to my individual needs, so that the processor power is directed in the way that will be most beneficial to me. Or the money is spent on things, if I'm going to be storing a lot of files, then I need to put hard disk space as a premium. Or if I'm going to be spending a lot of time online doing complex things, processor speed needs to be where my budget goes. I'm going to get a better user experience. And you and I might need different computers at the same price point. 
because it's individualized. There is nothing that is better collectively if it can be individualized, and education can be individualized. And there's so many ways to do it. We can put everything in a giant blocks and let people pick and choose pieces, which is kind of how college works. I mean, if you think about it, when you're putting your degree together, they give you all these classes that qualify in all these segments, and you pick and choose them, and you form together your schedule, and if you complete that, then you get your degree. It's not necessarily that that's bad. It's just outdated for some things. Basic education. Most people who go to college get a basic education. They do not get a specialized education. There is no reason for it to be collectivized. There's no reason it can't be absolutely individualized. Now, if you're going to be an engineer designing shit like bridges so they don't fall down, then there are certain stringent requirements in those STEM courses that make perfect sense. You're going to be a doctor cutting people's abdomens open and pulling things out and sticking things back in. Yeah. Yeah. And the body, the body is constant. Everybody has the same number of bones, the same number of muscles. The organs are in the same place. It fits with collective education to a degree. But the things necessary to gain the understanding so that you can go into that specialized study, those all can be individualized. And we might, if we weren't screwing up the medical industry, have more doctors that way. Good ones. This is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. And everything is changing. And the final story I have for you today goes on with that. I, I want you to get a phrase in your head. You've probably heard it a few times, but you're going to hear it more and more and more. And it spells either the loss of control or an amazing opportunity for lifestyle design if you understand it fully and learn how to you know, profit from it one way or another. And that saying is, access is replacing ownership. Access is replacing ownership. That's becoming more and more the case. And, and I mean, there's a lot of places where we inherently understand this already. If you're going to go to Los Angeles and you're going to be there for two weeks and you're going to get there on an airplane, you don't buy a car while you're in Los Angeles and then sell it when you leave. You need access to a car. So you either choose to use Uber or Lyft or taxis or a combination thereof, or you rent a car. Because what you really want is the ability to access transportation. Okay? When we make the decision to own, if we do it logically and reasonably, we do it in such a way that we require such access that the benefits of ownership outweigh the responsibilities of ownership. That's how we should be deciding when we buy something versus rent it, lease it, pay for it, uh, use it as a service. Do the benefits of ownership outweigh the responsibilities of ownership? If you buy a car, you're responsible to put new tires on it. If you lease a car, you're responsible to put new tires on it. Unless you structure your lease such that your lease expires before it needs new tires. Got it? Okay. Well... This company called Cox Automotive and Holman Enterprises are announcing a joint venture with something called FlexDrive. Let me read this one to you. Cox Automotive, the same company that brings consumers, Auto Trader and Kelly Blue Book, 
today announced a new joint venture with Holman Enterprises, a global leader in automotive selector services. Both automotive companies are now shared owners of FlexDrive, a new mobility company that enables consumers to subscribe to a vehicle rather than buying or leasing it. FlexDrive is an innovative new business model that was created with Cox Automotive in 2014 and evolved into a joint venture with Holman Enterprise in early April. Quote, both Holman Enterprise and Cox Automotive share an appreciation for what it means to move forward and create what consumers want today instead of fitting yesterday's solutions in today's demand, said David Leonardo, Vice President of Consumer Mobility at Cox Automotive. Through this partnership, we're combining the best of both companies to give consumers a new way to satisfy their mobility needs while enabling dealers to get into the mobility market. FlexDrive is a vehicle subscription service platform that enables dealerships to offer vehicle subscriptions as an option alongside buying and leasing. Through FlexDrive, consumers can subscribe to a car via mobile app within minutes and drive away without worrying about insurance, maintenance, or any other activities typically involved in purchasing or leasing a vehicle. They can swap vehicles at any time, giving them the flexibility they need without commitment of a long-term contract. Founded in 1924, Holman Enterprise has grown from a single Ford dealership in Maple Shade, New Jersey, to a global automotive conglomerate consisting of both consumer and business-related services, including 38 franchise stores across the country, a global corporate fleet management company, truck uplifting, parts distribution, consumer finance, and insurance business. The Holman history, culture, value, mission, team member approach, and community involvement mirrors that of Cox Automotive, making the partnership ideal, blah, 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 blah. The modern marketplace is asking for mobility solutions, not just transportation. And we are enthusiastic about working together with Cox Automotive to meet the modern consumer needs, said Brian Bates, president and CEO of Holman Consumer Services. At Holman, we have always been committed to providing customers with an extraordinary service and giving our customers an opportunity to flex in addition to purchasing or leasing or is another way we are achieving that goal. As a joint venture, FlexDrive will be led by Jose Ponte, uh, Ponte, Ponte, I would say, uh, who assumed the role of president. With FlexDrive, we are rewriting the rules of car ownership, said Puente. Uh, it is the new way to a car and fueled by a joint support of Cox and Holman. Get your marketing guys done. Okay. Uh, how FlexDrive works. A consumer downloads the FlexDrive app, selects a vehicle, and schedules pickup drop-off with two payment options and no down payment or credit check required. Consumers choose when to stop or even suspend service. Turning the service on and off during the span of use means no unnecessary payments when the car is not a priority. And the weekly or monthly payment covers traditional automotive costs of ownership like maintenance, roadside assistance, and insurance. FlexDrive addresses the pain points of vehicle purchasing and vehicle ownership and vehicle disposal. Okay, so how could you possibly do this? Well, uh, one, I think you'd need enough of a, a point of sale presence to get there. And, you know, Cox Automotive has that. Or actually, Holman Enterprises has that. Two, you're, you're going to have a formula where most people that do this are not going to cancel their subscription often because they need a car. That's why they're doing it in the first place. But you're going to be dealing with a much more fluid society, people that move around a lot more and their needs change a lot more. Today, I need a big car and I need that for a month, but next month uh, I'm going to be commuting by myself and I need a nice little commuting car that gets better gas mileage because I am going to have to put gas in it, things like that. But where is this really going? Okay, this is a company that's very, very smart. They read the writing on the wall, and they're doing this to have the platform in place for when autonomous vehicles show up in force. Because 
this will be ideal for autonomous vehicles. Because this will allow, so what it'll start out is Jack decides, you know what? Um, I got this big truck and I got this Toyota 4Runner. And it would be nice to have a third vehicle. So that every time I need to go somewhere that my wife's not here and I can't take the 4Runner, I'm not taking this giant 22-foot-long F-350 with me. But I don't need a vehicle all the time. And it would be nice when my family's in town for a month that I could just throw them the keys to one of my to my truck then and say, I don't want you messing up my subscription vehicle. You mess my truck up, and it's going to hurt whatever you mess it up against worse than the truck. And let them use that, and then I've got a, a vehicle for when I need to do things, and I can let them go. Or if my one of my vehicles goes in the shop for a week, I just have an option, right? And maybe I just want a vehicle, a third vehicle all the time that I want to be cheap. But wouldn't it be nice if I decide I don't like it anymore, I could just quit? Or if I decided, you know, hey, a bunch of people are coming in, why, why don't for this month I'll go get a really big passenger van? Like, see, that flexibility that's there. And there's other people that say, we really need a second car, I'd like it to be new, um, but if, you know, I lose my job, I'm stuck with a lease or a purchase, but if I have this, it might cost a little more, uh, but maybe not because the insurance is included with it because I'm getting group rate insurance now instead of individualized insurance. See, sometimes collective buying works a lot better than collective teaching, right? So with that, I have flexibility. I can return it if I take a new job and need to move. I mean, like, so it starts to be very, very attractive. It's a step stone. But once you, once you add autonomous vehicles to it, well, now I can have a car share. So I have rights to on-demand service from a car of at least this level of size and range and whatever and comfort within X number of minutes from when I push summon. But, you know, I'm, I drive to work and home, and I'm at work for eight hours, and I seldom leave work. So for that eight hours, that car can be going doing something for somebody else because I don't own it. So what they're doing is they're building the platform using today's system for tomorrow's technology. That's what they're doing. They're not talking about it because they're smart. In fact, I don't even think they want to – because what do they want? They want access to money. I think what they're doing is they're building the platform, and they're going to have the platform in place, and they're waiting for a Ford or a Volkswagen or a Chevrolet or whoever, or an Uber or a Lyft, whoever makes the first big entry into this market to go, that's a nice platform you got you have there. Here's X hundred million dollars for it. Go away. That's probably what they're doing. Will they be the only people to do this? No. Will they be the ones that are successful doing this? I don't know. But I know this is coming. And this is what you need to understand about the coming world. Access over ownership. Because ownership has responsibilities and costs associated with it. You know, And sometimes the benefits outweigh the responsibilities. I think home ownership definitely has, for many people, benefits that outweigh the responsibilities. But for other people, I, I don't think that it does. If you're a single person... And you can be happy in a one-bedroom apartment, and you live in a market where that one-bedroom apartment lets you save $500 a month versus not save $500 a month. And when, something, when, your, when your toilet clogs or your sink clogs or you know something, the dishwasher breaks, you pick up the phone and go, hey, uh, dishwasher's not working. Um, uh, yeah, your maintenance man can access the house while I'm at work today. Sure. And you come home and your dishwasher's fixed. 
well, then for you, it probably doesn't benefit you to buy a house because you're not going to build equity at $500 a month. You're just not. It doesn't work that way. Even if you factor in the tax savings, it doesn't work that way. So who should buy, who should rent? It all depends. What's your market? What's your long-term goals? What's your income? You know, What do you want out of your housing? Do you just need access to quality housing? Do you want a really nice pool that somebody else maintains? Or do you want a place to grow a garden? Those, those agendas will drive the decision-making, and they do. But we're, we're entering a world where technology is becoming so flexible that access is beginning to become more and more appealing. And while things are becoming more and more expensive, the more affordable aspects of access over ownership are making it more and more attractive. To a group of people that, that are the millennials coming of age that are not idiots. And this is important that we kind of end with this. We have a lot of young people that are smart, aggressive, hardworking people who are looking to make their stake in life. And they are going to write the rules of the future. You and I and people older than us, we are on the way out of the decision-making process. People like us that are in our mid-40s, we got about 10 years where we're really influencers. And maybe another 10 where people kind of sort of listen to us. If you don't believe that, go ask a 70-year-old man the last time somebody really gave a shit what he thought was. Unless he's some mogul or something like that. The average person that had a good career, that worked hard, that has a nice house, good retirement... Ask him how much people really give a shit about what he thinks. If he's honest, he'll tell you they don't care. And if he's smart, he's gotten to the point where he doesn't give a shit either. He's happy about it. So these people that are 15 to 25 right now, they're going to write the rules of society for us in our old age. So you better be glad. You better be glad that some of them are damn fine people. Now, I'm telling you that that group of people... This message is very attractive to them. Not the social justice weenies, all right? But them too. But even the good, solid ones, like, oh, you mean I can have a, a sports car this month? That's great. And I can have that just like, I just, as long as my credit card will cover the payment, I can just have that? I don't have to have a credit check? Well, no, because see, you don't own the car. You're just subscribing to the car. Now, do I think this can be abused and people can end up in deep shit? Because I guarantee you it's going to be paid for with a credit card. But I think if you're using a bank credit card, so you're using a bank card, and maybe someday you'll have a card attached to your Bitcoin account, you'll be paying for it in Bitcoin, and they'll be getting dollars. And that way, you know, your Bitcoin account might go up enough each month to cover the cost. I don't know, I'm just saying. But this is the world we're headed to, guys. And, and, and I want to circle back to the beginning. It's crypto savagery. It's those of us awake to these changes are going to be able to adapt to them quicker than those who are not. And the majority of people, including the establishment, can't see us. They don't know we're here. They don't know what we're doing. They think that like the world of cryptocurrencies is all a bunch of people dealing drugs on Silk Road or something. They don't even, they don't even realize that the guy that built that site's in jail for like three life sentences. It's just a sin. It doesn't exist anymore. And the, the, the technology's moved beyond it. But they don't realize that that's what most of us are about anyway. We're just people that want to live free. That want to choose who we do business with and how. Now, what all this starts to do is congeal a world where virtual nations are more likely. See, the one thing that hinders, go back to Russia and the cryptocurrency thing. 
The one thing that really hinders them, if they go to crypto, they acknowledge that the solution of the crypto savage is a better solution. That we're better than they are. And they'll always be ten steps behind us. No matter what, they've lost the monopoly on monetary creation and monetary distribution. It's over forever. They can't get it back. But they can play the game, and they have force on their side. So we have to remain more nimble and more quick. And the longer we remain unseen and misunderstood, the better. With that, if you like today's show and you want to support the work that we do, one of the things that you can do is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. You just go to tspaz.com, and when you get there, you'll see all of the products that I review on Amazon. You'll see a link where you can get on over to Amazon through the, uh, the, the main link there to see all their deals of the day. And as long as you shop on tspaz.com, you help support the work of the Survival Podcast. Every day I do have a different review for you. I'm bringing one back. I thought it just fit today because of the story of the tire and all. It is the Viair 300P and 400, 450P portable air compressors. These are great tools. And these are built like full-size compressors, but they're smaller ones that fit in a bag in the back of your truck or behind the seat, things like that. Um, the 300P is probably good for most of you. The 450P is the one I own. It's designed for people to own like RVs and stuff. And again, I drive a great big F350 with these huge tires on it. Um, man, I'm going to tell you about changing spare tires. You put a spare tire on, do that only if you have to. With, with an air compressor and a plug kit, <laughs> most of the time you don't need a spare. Even if you do, most, most of the time. Now I've had, I hit a piece of angle iron one time on the tollway with my little Jetta. Tire's gone. Like, you got to put the spare on. You're not fixing that. But most of the time what happens with people with flats is you have a really low tire. And if you can just throw an air compressor on it, put you know some, some air in it, you can get off the road before you do whatever's necessary to fix it. Even if you have the smaller variety of air compressor and you can't really put as much air in as there should be, you can air it enough that it's safe to drive, slow down a little bit, get to a gas station, put a couple quarters in a machine and air up, that type of thing. And again, with a plug kit, you got it made. Now, these are not cheap, um, they, uh, but they, they are because they're not cheaply designed or made. Though they've actually come down about 20% since I first reviewed them because economy of scale and capitalism works, I'm just saying. Uh, the 300P is uh, 134, and the 450P is 254. And I'd really recommend you invest in a larger compressor if you drive a truck, anything with larger tires. Everybody else would be fine with the 300P. Um, the, the thing about this compressor is a, a couple things that, that make it why I recommend it. First is the length of the cords and the hose. Um, my truck's long. It's a quad cab, eight-foot bed truck. Since this was designed for RVs, it was designed for vehicles longer than that. Hence... I can reach all four wheels on my car. I have no problem moving things around and actually getting to the tire because if you can't reach the tire, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's one thing. And some of the little ones, like you can see on a truck, like that's just not going to reach. Number two, the power cables do not plug into a cigarette lighter. They're alligator clamps. They clamp onto a battery because it runs at higher wattage because it's got a lot of power. Now, You can pull 130 to 150 watts through a cigarette lighter. Anything beyond that, pop goes the fuse, and burn up goes the, either the device or the car or the wiring harness, right? You don't do that. So this is a higher wattage device, and it's designed to run properly. 
Because if you put a 12-volt plug on this thing and stick it in your cigarette lighter, you're going to blow a fuse or worse. Okay? Um, so I think that gives you the power that you're looking for. Next, built-in accurate pressure gauge. Because you can actually air things up to the proper pressure. With I mean, this thing would shoot nails out of a, a relatively small-sized nail gun. That's how good this is. It's built like a real compressor. And I really recommend it. Now, I realize that some people just don't have the money. And there's a point where you move to something good enough. So I also went out and linked to in the article as well <clears throat> is a product from Q Industries called the HV35. It is not equivalent to the Bayer products. But it's $35 bucks with free shipping on Amazon. It does plug into a cigarette lighter. But it has a 10-foot power cord, and that means it probably will reach the wheels of any vehicle out there. It's lower power, but it works really well. It has great reviews on Amazon. It is the best product for under 50 bucks that I can find that does, you know, that does this function. I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to get to a point of diminishing returns, take too long, get really hot, If you're trying to air up an RV tire, it's not made for that. It's for passenger vehicles and all. But even a large truck tire, what it will do is give you enough air in the tire to get the vehicle someplace where it's safer to do the work. Again, I talked today a lot about does this affect the temperature of the water in your pool as a metaphor. Sooner or later, you will have a flat tire. This affects the temperature of the water in your pool. You can learn more about it at tspaz.com. And remember, you always help support the show when you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Next up, it is time for the song of the day. And this is uh, kind of a humbling one for me. But John said um, he selected this one for me. And, you know, I don't think you can play a song for yourself without seeming arrogant. And uh, I don't think if you are not arrogant, you can't be humbled by the fact that somebody suggests a song for you, especially when it does really hit the nail on the head identifying you. Uh, this song is called The Ones That Like Me uh, by Brantley Gilbert. Here's a few of the lyrics, and I do think this is the type of person that I am. Ain't gonna lie, I can count on both hands down to my down-to-ride-till-the-day-I-die friends. To get them, I'd like to think that I'm few and far between. Guys like me, you want in an alley with you. Elba Creek, ain't a doubt I'm gonna paddle with you. Go to bat, go to church, go to battle with you. They can say what they want about me, but the ones that need me got me. The ones that doubt me can't stop me. Even the ones that said forget him, you can bet they ain't forgot me. Either want to hit me or hold me, those that hate me don't know me. And the ones that don't trust anyone, anybody trust me. Yeah, the ones that like me love me. Speak in my mind, don't mind who's listening. I'll ask forgiveness for I ask permission. Least with me, you know what you're getting. You may not get a thing. You may not get a thing about me, but the ones that need me got me. You know, um, the ones that don't trust anybody trust me. I mean, I, that's the person I've always wanted to be. Um, and and I don't. I, it, it's hard for me to talk about this because. You, I, I don't think sometimes people think I'm like an arrogant guy, but I'm really not. I just I believe in what I believe in, so I speak with that that confidence. But I I don't I don't generally talk about myself a lot. I, I don't think I do anyway, at least not from a aggrandizing point. But I, I think the bigger thing is that's the kind of person that I want in my life. That's that's what I'm most blown away is 
I always thought that I was such a small minority of people. Very, very long time ago, I told the story in the air. I'll tell you again here. Um, there's people I've had their back all the way. You know, uh, Ron Hood, a good friend of mine that passed away quite a few years ago now, um, when some stuff came out that was just nastiness between two camps, it's like, you're 100% with Ron. Why? Well, because he's a friend. You know, and people say, well, like, you know, friends. I mean, everybody has friends. Well, there's a movie called Tombstone, right? Old, you know, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp story. Okay, Corral, shoot out, all that stuff. And, of course, that movie's got a lot of Hollywood in it. A lot of it's based on complete fiction, what have you. It's not the real story, but it was a good movie. It was a great movie. And Val Kilmer, of course, is playing Doc Holliday in this, and he's dying of tuberculosis when they're out riding the range and chasing down all these guys in the other gang and, you know, risking his life, and he's coughing up blood. And one guy says, hell, Doc, what are you doing out here with us? And uh, Doc says, Wyatt Herb is my friend. And then one guy, and the other guy says, well, hell, Doc, I got lots of friends. And Doc says, I don't. I don't. And that's how I've always been. Like, I have a lot of acquaintances, but friends, people that I actually, you know, routinely invite to my home that, I, that you know, they're 100% have my loyalty and I know I have theirs. Few and far between and far too many of them passed away young too, man. Um, but I always thought the reason for that is there just weren't many people like this that thought this way. Now, what doing this show for 2017 episodes has taught me is there's millions of us. It's just a hard hard thing to find each other because there are so many that aren't. There are so many that are fake. They're plastic people. And I don't just mean that they buy shit with plastic. I mean they're plastic. They're a facade. The, the, the person you see day to day is not the real them. They hide who they are. They're ashamed of who they are. They conform for the purpose of fitting in, and they're miserable. But inside inside of us, I think this is all who we really are as people. I think there's some messed up people. I mean, I'll, we'll throw the 10% scumbag theory in there and just say, people that are really shitheads are shitheads, and they can go over here and be shitheads. Okay? But I think the majority of people, this is what they really are, but they're afraid to be it. And they've lost the knowledge on how to be their true selves. And I'd like to believe what this show helps create is people that don't change into this, that realize this type of person is who they really are and who they always have been. And when they find this in themselves, they find actual contentment, happiness, and joy. And then they're able to fulfill their true destiny, to actually make something happen. So, John, thanks for playing this song for me, bro. I really appreciate it. And I hope, guys that those of you out there that have been listening all these years, that's that's how you, that you, you do think I am this kind of guy. That I always put you guys first. I always do. You know, There's been plenty of times I've been offered money to do things that I didn't think were right for the audience, and it was easy to say no. Because one thing was just way more important to me than the other. You know? And, and I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I think that might be easier when you have you know, financial independence. It's, it's a little harder to, to lure something. Well, you can have more. Well, I have enough, and I want to do the right thing. But I'd like to believe that I was always like this, even when I was dirt-ass poor, always trying to do the right thing for people. And I think that's a core tenet of modern survivalism that we may, maybe need to add. You know, we've had those 12 tenets for nine years now. 
But I think the real thing that I see when this community gets together in meetups and groups and things like that is just honest, hardworking people that care about each other. And I've seen people do things for each other in this community that just blow me away. And uh, again, and I'll let you know real quick, uh, John has agreed to continue to be basically our music coordinator and select songs for future episodes. I think we're going to have a couple episodes before he gets a list back to me, so I might pick a few for the next couple. And I had a lot of you guys sending me requests for songs, say maybe this song or that song, while John was doing this, and I just, I'm sorry I ignored them, not because I didn't care, but because I gave John a directive, he was executing a directive, and I don't interfere. Now he's going to be free to pick any song at all for any episode at all. And so if you send suggestions, then I will forward them to him, and let him do his job and figure out where they fit in, if they fit in, what have you. Or does it make him think of something else and what have you. I think he did a really good job over the last like 40 episodes of picking some music I would have never picked. Anyway, love this song. I know this episode went long today, but it's because, to me, it's a, it's a major achievement for our community. And I wanted to give you kind of what I think today, what I try to do is say, this is what the last nine years, this is what the last 2016 episodes have been about, and we're only getting started. We will continue our journey together, friends, as crypto savages, in the words of Vin Armani. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Me, 
ones that down me can't stop me. Even the ones that say forget him, bitch, they say he ain't forgotten. Either wanna hit me or hug me. Those that hate me don't love me. And the ones that don't trust anybody, trust me. 